Welcome to Between the Gutters Podcast, where we talk about the story within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert Lamb, and with me is... I'm Drew Tan, coming at you. Hey guys, welcome, welcome, and uh, you know, thanks for joining us today. So last week we uh, went into our series uh, going over crossovers and events, and uh, we we discussed... X-Men crossovers the, and events. Yeah, we, we discussed the X-Men crossover and events, and this week we decided to continue with that theme, and we wanted to go over uh, crossovers and events for Spider-Man comics. So for those of you who, um, you know, aren't too familiar with events, just really quickly, we're, I'm just going to go off um, just a quick uh, list of criteria and uh, definitions that we have just so, uh, you know, you guys know what we're talking about. Uh, an event is, is something uh, put together by the publishing company that is expressly designed to sell more comics throughout the publisher's line. Uh, two, it encompasses multiple properties or characters. Three, it purports to leave a major impact on the status quo of the, uh, of the story moving forward. Uh, four, it is not solely contained within the ongoing narrative of a single or serial, serialized title. Um, in other words, it's not merely a story arc of an already existing ongoing series. It is not merely a story arc of an already existing ongoing series that happens to feature guest appearances from other properties or characters, and uh, and or it can be a mini series, a mini series with a slew of tie-in issues or a crossover between multiple ongoing titles. Straightforward enough. I I I try. I try. Yeah. So, do you? Uh, so, when it comes to uh, crossover stories with. Uh, Spider-Man, it. I feel like there's something different with Spidey compared to the X-Men because with the X-Men, uh, like number one, there's a whole ton of different X-Men characters, but there's also always a bunch of different X-Men and X-Men spinoff series that are going on. So it always feels like their world is a much bigger place um, in terms of characters and and storylines that can be expanded on to draw in all the other characters and and comic book series mm. whereas with spider-man he might have multiple series but typically all of his series just feature uh him yeah right? at the end of the day <laughs> it's it's all focused around him it's a lot of spider-man in one place essentially right yeah um whereas with the, with the x-men crossover you might have x-factor or Excalibur, or Generation X, or the New Mutants, or, you know, any various number of teams crossing over, uh, you know, across their books. Whereas with Spider-Man, uh, the crossover might be more like, this issue of the Amazing Spider-Man will cross over with this issue of Spectacular Spider-Man, which will, which will culminate uh, with the story ending in this issue of the Web of Spider-Man. Yeah, or friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, or or adjectiveless Spider-Man, <laughs> <laughs> or Peter Parker Spider-Man. Uh, so, um, the avenging Spider-Man, <laughs> the superior Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I I do feel like in recent so uh, well let me clarify in 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 the past with with Spider-Man. 
um, since he's the sole character and, you know, such a big title, uh, you know, recognizable character, uh, Marvel just decided, you know, to, they, they often have more than one book running for him. So, uh, when they do these crossover events, it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely different because you're just crossing over, uh, Spider-Man with other Spider-Man. And um, the one thing I was going to mention was in recent years, it does feel like they've expanded the Spider-Family uh, more. So if you've seen uh, a movie like Into the Spider-Verse, you'll know that there are other Spider-Characters that exist. Uh, you'll have your Spider-Gwens or your uh, Miles Morales Spider-Man or... Um, you know, any number of characters. Uh, you can't forget about the Asian. You can't forget about the Asian Spider-Woman, you know, uh, Silk. Silk, yes. Cindy Moon. Yeah. Well, Asians I, represent. I thought you were talking about, what was the one with the robot uh, from Into the Spider-Verse? I don't even remember. Oh, yeah, there was her, too. Yeah. I forget what comic she's from. She might have been in, like, was she from the Marvel Mangaverse? She might have been from the Marvel Mangaverse. Um, yeah. There, yeah. Yeah. There's also Spider-Man Noir or Peter Porker, Spider-Ham. <laughs> yeah. And then you got to think about all the villains of his that get their own books like Venom or, or yeah. Carnage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Prowler seems to be more oh, yeah. uh, more and more popular nowadays, if only because of the, Spider, uh, the Spider-Verse movie. That's right. Which is something. Um, yeah, so, you know, for those of you listening, uh, that's... I think that's a good way to uh, understand the the difference between a Spider-Man event and an X event, for sure. Yeah, the other thing that uh, I just thought of, too, was, is that um, I feel like maybe around the time of uh, Brand New Day, like that whole era, they actually stopped doing... Uh, multiple spider-man series and they just had one spider-man series but they uh put it out like three times a month so that they would keep turning them out yeah and they had different creative teams so it was almost like having multiple spider-man titles except it was they all had the same title and numbering (laughs) that sounds like that could get tiresome pretty quick (laughs) yeah i wasn't a fan of that era to be honest yeah like it just feels like they're just shotgunning issues out at that point yeah, yeah. I mean, even during the dance lot era, um, there were a lot of there were a lot of different artists, and they were just kind of pumping them out, you know. So yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I mean, I guess it works for Marvel. Uh, yeah, I personally, don't really enjoy a whole ton of uh, artists just being part of a factory, you know. Like yeah. that's not really entertaining to me. Yeah. Yeah, it just, it's it reminds me of like foie gras, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for those of you listening, if you've never had foie gras, it's it's like a French delicacy. It's uh, it's like duck liver, but what they do is they'll take a duck and they'll just force feed it breadcrumbs until it's you know it dies from uh, you know being overfed. But that. That process is supposed to make the liver really rich and whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, I guess that just indicates that it's a painful process for me. 
Oh, when, <laughs> when they just churn out more and more spider books and they're just like jamming them down your throat. <laughs> yeah, there's there's something to be said about quality over quantity. Totally. And if Marvel have shown us anything the past 15 years, it's that they definitely value quantity. Yeah. Yeah. And and they've found different ways to uh, they've definitely found different ways to tap into that quantity aspect. Um, you know, whether it's three or four Spider-Man, Peter Parker Spider-Man books, or, you know, five or six books about all these characters that are tied to Spider-Man. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So did you have any other thoughts? Uh, the other thing I was going to say is that I felt like when we were, we were talking about Spider-Man events to begin with and after we did the X-Men episode uh-huh. and it just made me realize there are quite a few Spider-Man events, but there are only a few that I can appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like we're kind of like when we, when we start talking about the ones that we do enjoy, I feel like some of those we were kind of reaching kind of grasping for straws to, to consider them like real events or crossovers. Yeah. We were but playing like it the fast ones and that, loose with the definition. <laughs> yeah. But the ones that are obviously events or crossovers, those ones were, I think both of us, as soon as we just hear the title of the story, we just laugh at it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a part of me that gets glassy eyed thinking about some of those. <laughs> so i guess this could be a shorter episode than usual (laughs) is that what you're telling me albert uh well we're we're gonna have a lot to say about the ones that we do like but we're also gonna have uh i think we're gonna have things to say about the ones that we don't appreciate quite as much true that true that yep so what are some of the ones that are on our endorsement list so one of the first ones that jumped out at me uh that jumped out at me immediately when we were talking about uh spider-man events was craven's last hunt this was or otherwise known as fearful symmetry this was a comic that we'd mentioned before on on this podcast it was in our, way back in episode three. Way back in episode three, it was part of our top twenty-five Marvels of all time, uh, which we will finish one day. I guarantee it, yeah. unless we die. Well, let me rephrase it. I guarantee it. Miss on me. Albert's doing his uh, Gambit impression. <laughs> I want, I want, how would Gambit sound if he were a 1920s Chicago gangster? <laughs> now you just <laughs> that just sounds like it's too much. I like I I would I feel like I'd have to sit in a room and isolate myself and really think about that and be like. So he sounds like he's uh he's from Louisiana, but. He uses phrases and terms like he's a Chicago gangster in the 1920s. <laughs> Ooh, that is tough. So this was a so Craven's Last Hunt was a event that crossed over from Web of Spider-Man 30 uh, issues 31 and 32 
The Amazing Spider-Man 293 to 294, and The Spectacular Spider-Man 131 to 132. Now, even though these are three different books, the interesting thing about it is the, all all the books, uh, or all the titles, rather, were written by J.M. DeMatteis, and they were all drawn by Mike Zeck. Am I remembering that right, Drew? That is correct. Yeah. it's It was essentially uh, one... It was essentially a story by the same creative team told over six issues. And they, it could have been any six issues, right? It could have been... Heck, it could have been published as a graphic novel if they really wanted to. But they decided to publish it in, to, in six different chapters uh, across three different Spider-Man titles. Yeah. Which... So, so, te- so very technically speaking, it fits into our criteria of a crossover. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the interesting thing is... If more crossovers were built this way, well, I'm not going to say that I'd be, that I would appreciate, okay, I would appreciate it more if only for the consistency, but in terms of, like, the crossovers we have seen, I I don't know that it would make that much of a difference. Like, I'd appreciate it on a superficial level. (laughs) Sure. Does that make sense? I think I, I get what you're saying. Right. It's more about the the fact that this story is, well, number one, it's coherent. Yeah. Well, you can't say that about a lot of others. Yeah, it's visually coherent and narratively coherent because the teams are consistent all the way through. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They could have published all six issues in in uh, Amazing Spider-Man. You know, it could have been a six-issue arc in Amazing Spider-Man or a six-issue arc in... Yeah. In yeah. Web of Spider-Man or whatever. Totally. totally. Um, but but fortunately for us, they published it the way they did, so we can actually yeah mention it in this episode. <laughs> yeah, and I, I yeah I would say that just on its own, it's just it, it's like you said, you really feel like if it could have been just one arc in any story, and that's that's just how tight it is and. Yeah, I, I felt like I was going somewhere with this, but I lost my train of thought. Anyways, go ahead. <laughs> um, Do you want to recap the story for yeah, people yeah, who... Yeah, yeah. Sure, totally. So, in the in this story, we begin with Craven, who's kind of... he He's a, he's a character from Spider-Man's past who's, you know, uh, uh, a big game hunter from the jungles of... Africa, well, really the world, but uh, the way he's dressed, it it's kind of stereotypically. He looks like Tarzan or yeah, something. Yeah, he right? looks like Tarzan or something. I guess is how you would describe it. And when he was first introduced, he was a character who came to the United States to hunt the most dangerous game of all, which he considered Spider-Man. And over the years, he's lost to Spider-Man a bunch of times, and he. He was sort of this jokey villain, but when this story starts, um, they introduce him, and he's obsessed with Spider-Man uh, to the point of madness almost. So uh, within the story, what ends up happening is he he has this plan to um, to get Spider-Man, and at one point. He finally nails him. He 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 gets Spider-Man and he beats him, 
and on the face of it, it it looks like Spider-Man's dead, and during this time period, he, uh, in his madness, he, he feels like now that he has killed Spider-Man, the only, the next logical step for him is in order for him to prove to himself that he truly is the greatest, he has to be Spider-Man and prove to the world that he's even better at being Spider-Man than Spider-Man is, essentially. He's the superior Spider-Man. He, this is the original superior Spider-Man. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And um, it's, a, it's a pretty dark psychological story, but it doesn't go so far into the darkness where it becomes a parody. Like, I feel like this is something we talk about a lot, but... You know, I cannot reiterate it more. the 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 way, the, even, although this is a dark story, it's it's done well. It's done. The drama is done well. Uh, the 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 psychology of it all is all very like gripping and compelling, and it's not something that I look at and I don't roll my eyes when I read it because I'm like, why is this guy so emo or why is he trying so hard to be so edgy you know um yeah uh so i uh do you think i should give away the rest of this story or how do you, you know I, I i don't remember if we gave the story's ending away when we did our uh other episode yeah in uh episode three but uh if people haven't listened to that episode or if they haven't if they don't already know what happens at the end of this story uh i I guess we don't need to spoil it yeah i'll just go so far as to say that what jmd mateus and mike zek accomplish in this story is add a lot of gravitas to a character that was previously considered kind of a jokey type of character Mm -hmm. i mean this guy is like a like a crocodile Dundee kind of guy or, a, you know, like a bushwhacker kind of hunt, big game hunter yeah. who thinks he can fight Spider-Man in the big city. Uh, and this guy, Craven, he doesn't really have a whole lot to him. You know, he's he's a tracker. Um, so I guess he's got really keen senses and he knows how to fight. Uh, he's in good physical condition. He knows how to use... Uh, Weapons tools and, traps. And, and weapons. Yeah. But really, he, someone like him can't be a, a match for Spider-Man. Spider-Man's got super strength and durability, agility, yeah. speed, you know, Spider-Sense. There's no way that Craven logically should be able to be a real threat to yeah. Spider-Man. But the way that the story portrays Craven the way that he he beats Spider-Man pretty quickly it actually is done in a logical way and then for a big chunk of the story Spider-Man is basically buried alive after Craven takes him out at the beginning Mm. Craven ends up like a big part of the story is from Craven's perspective yeah and we get to hear you know in his his own his, his own narration. Uh, we we kind of dive into his psychological state and experience what this triumph feels like for him and how, in a way, it's almost 
a hollow victory for him. Like he's proven that he's the superior Spider-Man, but that's only in his mind, right? Because yeah. for for the audience, when you see him dressing up as Spider-Man, beating up on thugs and stuff, you know that the way he does it, that ain't the way that the real Spider-Man would do it. Yeah. And and um, another big element of the whole story is Mary Jane, because this this is in a period when Peter Parker and Mary Jane had only recently gotten married. And it's the love that they have between one another that is Peter's tether to reality while he's trying to escape this, you know, escape being buried alive. Like he's he's fighting off the drugs that he's been dosed with. Um, and it's, it's kind of a, a twist on the classic Spider-Man story where Spider-Man gets buried under uh, heavy machinery or rubble and he has to summon up the will and the strength, you know, because it it's somehow heavier than what he can actually lift up under normal circumstances. But when he thinks about the people he cares about, he finds that extra gear and that's like just barely enough for him to, to lift it. Right. Right. And in Craven's last hunt, it feels like we kind of get a little twist on that where he, his, it's his love for Mary Jane and thinking about her that gives him enough strength and and will to literally crawl out of the grave right right so there's there's an element of of just rebirth to the character of spider-man that's present here mm. um and the whole element with craven i i would say one of the things i like about what they did with craven in the story was they gave him a lot of gravitas because, yeah, like I, like we said, he's he he's was dramatic. a jokey kind of villain. Yeah, and now all of a sudden he's a really dramatic character. He's yeah. he's dramatic, he's tragic, he's yeah. uh, deeply flawed. But somehow, even though he's the villain, somehow we can still understand uh, why he does what he does. And, and we can even understand why he is the way he is. Because mm-hmm. I, think, I think they tell us enough about his backstory and who he is as a person and what makes him tick that, that we can, even if we don't agree or sympathize with him, we can comprehend and yeah understand his actions. Yeah. It, it's, it's uh, a funny thing. Cause we talked a few weeks ago about uh, going sane back in our uh, Joker episode. Right. Right. And we mentioned how the seed for going sane was, was this? It kind of came. What's that? Wait, no, go ahead. Uh, the the seed for going sane kind of came out of the same, uh, I guess the same train of thought. I guess I'm mixing my metaphors, but it <laughs> it, it came from the same place as uh as Craven's Last Hunt, you know? Because is it a tree or is it a train, Drew? <laughs> it's a tree that grows trains, man. Yeah. Haven't you ever been on a on a train track where trees just spread it up. I'm pretty sure these don't work that way. <laughs> um, but yeah, just like how that Joker story was about how the Joker killed or thought he killed Batman and what happens after that. Uh, Craven's Last Hunt, which is the story that predates Going Sane. Yeah. It's a story about Craven uh, quote unquote killing Spider-Man and then 
what what does he do next? Yeah, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because I forget if I mentioned this when we were talking about going sane, but the thing about that was in that story you have the Joker going sane, and it is through that act of no longer being the Joker that you kind of get an idea by subtraction of what the Joker is at at his essence, kind of, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I feel like this story kind of does the same, has the same format here, where through... You mentioned earlier that Spider-Man is actually missing through in large parts of this story because he's buried alive. And you have Kraven acting out as Spider-Man, and it is through the negative space of uh, Peter Parker's Spider-Man and the relativity to Craven's Spider-Man that you you get an analysis of what it is about Spider-Man, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that makes that absolutely makes sense. There's yeah. even a scene in the story where uh, Mary Jane gets accosted by some thugs and Craven dressed up as Spider-Man comes and saves her. Yeah, yeah. And Craven doesn't know that Mary Jane is Peter's uh, wife. Yeah. So to him, he's just saving a, a, you know, a random lady on the street. Yeah. But when she sees this vicious Spider-Man, uh, she knows right away that's not Peter. Yeah. yeah. And, and you as the reader, you identify with her and you're able to, to feel the terror that she feels. You know, there's somebody dressed up in her husband's clothes that's just acting out just you know he's he's craven is straight up wilding out in in spider-man's costume that's (laughs) a good way to put it like (laughs) he messes those those uh those thugs up like severely you know (laughs) it's i mean like i know they're criminals and you know you want there's a part of you that's like yeah heroes are supposed to beat beat up you know these uh these bad guys. robbers and bad guys, but he like takes it to the next level, and you're just <laughs> like, uh, I think they've been unconscious for the past like five minutes. You don't really need to do that anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're just hitting meat at this point. <laughs> uh. Yeah, this is not only one of the best it's not only the best spider-man crossover this is one of the absolute best spider-man stories and that's why it was on our marvel top 25 of all time list right right totally so uh you want to move on to the next one yeah yeah we can move on if if anybody wants to hear us bloviate even more about craven's last hunt go back and check out episode three way back in the day yep yep so while we're on the subject of uh jam dimatteis uh we wanted to go and introduce another event now this one was uh although it's i guess technically it's an event but it's it's not quite an event in the way that we listed off earlier. So, uh, what I wanted, what we wanted to mention was Spider-Man's 30th anniversary issues. So, uh, a few years back, uh, I don't remember what year this was. Do you, Drew? Uh, I believe it was 93. 
Okay, so in 93, uh, that was Spider-Man's 30th anniversary, and they wanted to roll out a... They wanted to do something special for Spider-Man. And so what they did was they gave... He had four titles going on at the time, which was Web of Spider-Man. Oh, my, oh I, th- I think it was 1992, actually. Oh, okay. Sorry. 1992. So they rolled out... Uh, so at the time, Spider-Man had four titles, which was Web of Spider-Man, Spectacular Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, and just Spider-Man, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, what they wanted to do was they... They gave all of these issues that came out in this period uh, the same title or the same cover treatment, and they all had uh, holograms on them of Spider-Man. Uh, the thing that makes this these stories different was that it wasn't a crossover in the sense that their stories crossed over with each other. If anything, they all stayed uh, strictly within the boundaries of their respective titles. But uh, we figured that it would count as an event if only because this was his 30th anniversary and Marvel did do a lot to promote this as a means of selling more books. So Yeah, they gave them all hologram covers. So yeah. it was the 90s. You yeah. got to love those gimmick covers. Yeah. Plus, it's like we said earlier, we really had to stretch the limits of our <laughs> definition just to find... Yeah. Good stories to talk about. Yeah. So the thing about this was, I would say three of the four of them were stories that we we don't really have any affection for whatsoever. But it's, it's purely just nostalgia for Web of Spider Man, Amazing Spider Man, and uh, Spider Man. Those three issues in this thirtieth anniversary. Like, I had all of them, all four of these issues when I was a kid. Yeah. So there's a nostalgia factor, but just as a, an adult, you know, somebody that's looking back at the things I used to like, <laughs> it, it's like, it just makes me go, yeah, those comics aren't good, you know? Yeah. <laughs> those are bad. Those are bad comics. Certainly, certainly. Um, yeah, I'm not too far behind you on that one um yeah i'm 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 certainly glad i outgrew those (laughs) yeah well okay so although um i didn't say that three of the four of them uh weren't aren't good comics by by uh today's standards well even by the standards then i'd say they probably weren't very good but yeah yeah even by (laughs) 90s standards i don't think they were particularly good comics but it's just that they happen to be the only spider-man comics at the time so (laughs) (laughs) um but But the the one issue that did stand out was spectacular spider-man number 189 that was the one that had a blue cover with the hologram right and that one was written by jam d mateus and drawn by sal basima yeah yeah and um that one, uh, it, it's one story, it's one issue, but and it ties into really uh, everything that JMD Mateus had written up to that point for uh, for his spectacular Spider-Man run. But it was a pretty big, 
Um, it was a pretty big issue, uh, if only because it was, it tied up, uh, it, it tied up everything that he'd been building up to, up to that point. Yeah, um, it, it was a good culmination of various storylines that he'd been introducing in subplots. Yeah, and uh, I don't think, I don't think, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if people still really remember this, but... Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give a brief synopsis of, of the story up to that point. Uh, so, uh, for those of you who have some idea of uh, Spider-Man's story with the Green Goblin, uh, the Green Goblin was a villain that had plagued Spider-Man for years, and uh, the ultimate revelation of who the Green Goblin was was that he was actually the dad of... Uh, Peter Parker's best friend Harry Osborn. Uh, he was the Norman Osborn. Um, and at some point in the comics, uh, there's an ultim- there's a final battle between the two of them where, you know, because Norman Osborn's evil ways, he ends up he ends up d- uh, dying by his own hand, essentially, uh, while trying to battle spider-man to the end um and when uh so so further down the road at some point harry osborne eventually takes on the role of spider-man and even learns that of the green goblin uh, of, of the green goblin i'm sorry of the green goblin and even learns that peter parker his best friend is the person who killed his dad and uh, when, as Sal Buscema was writing it, so I don't think he was the guy who 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 initially uh, planted the seed of uh, this rivalry between Harry Osborn and Peter Parker. But uh, during his run of Spectacular Spider-Man, he he probably did the best version of that story. Uh, of that rivalry between these two men. Um, so we mentioned in the last segment that he takes Craven, and you know he adds a lot of gravitas to him. I would say that he he adds a lot of tragedy and gravitas to the Harry Osborn Green Goblin in this story uh, over his run of Spectacular Spider-Man because um, in this story, what ends up happening is the Green Goblin. He's 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 basically decided this is the moment where I'm gonna you know I I've been living with the knowledge that Peter Parker is the person that's killed my father and you know we've had a you know a couple of these small altercations here and there but this is the this is the point in time where I'm going to finally get revenge on Peter Parker and I'm going to earn my dead father's respect essentially mm-hmm. and the culmination of that story ends up being Spider-Man, Spectacular Spider-Man 189, in which the two of the these two men finally have their last uh, confrontation with one another. Um, in it, Harry Osborn kidnaps his ex, well, his estranged wife and his son and his brother-in-law and 
you know, he and and Spider-Man even and basically put them all in this house where, you know, he's he's insane and he's just keeping them all trapped in this house so that he can I don't know what the word is. Would you consider it torture, Drew? Uh, like, uh, if it's torture, it's not physical torture. I think it was more him trying to <clears throat> pass on the legacy, the Osborne legacy, to his, his son, son. Yeah, his son Normie, who was probably I don't know, like eight or nine years old or something like that. Yeah, maybe even younger. I I don't remember, or I, it's hard to tell exactly how old. The little kid is but yeah it, it's just this idea that he the same way that his father or the same way that he gained uh i guess the hatred of mastery of the green goblin power and, yeah. and hatred of spider-man from his father he wants to pass that legacy down to his son as well and yeah you know obviously with his uh his wife being a sane, rational person, she wants no part of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like a big part of the story takes place in this house where he's holding them hostage, and it's just Harry Osborne, like, pun. I don't know if pontificating is the word, but he's he's you know talking it out in front of his family and in front of his sworn enemy slash best friend. Peter Parker, you know? Yeah, I would say pontificating is an accurate term to describe what happens. Okay, okay. So he pontificates, uh, you know, out loud uh, and just kind of... I don't know if... Yeah, like I think you described it accurately earlier where it's he's having these thoughts about how they got here but it, there are also thoughts about how, you know, he wants his son to carry on this legacy as the Green Goblin and to hate Peter Parker the way that he was taught by his dad to hate Peter Parker. And it's 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 almost Shakespearean stuff, really, you know? Yeah. 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 It's, it, he... it's, it's pretty dramatic. And it's, it's not... I guess someone could make the argument that it's melodramatic, but <clears throat> you know, this is comic books. It, I don't really have a problem with that. Yeah. It's Spider-Man comic. There is, it might be melodramatic, but I, I still think that the emotion is very genuine. Yeah. And you can still, I think the, what I really liked about the story is that, uh, even though, uh, you know, little Normie is a kid and, Liz Allen, you know, she's just a normal woman and her brother-in-law, long story, but <clears throat> her brother-in-law, <laughs> or her, her, I forget how they're related actually, or I think I, it's not her brother-in-law, it's her, uh, it's her brother, it's his brother-in-law, her, her half-brother or step-brother or something, right, something. Is, is the molten man, <laughs> so he, he has powers too, but yeah, like, like uh, he's got strength and He's kind of like Colossus, here. but weaker. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a poor man's Colossus. Yeah, but he and and Spider Man basically have their hands tied because they're not gonna throw down and fight when a little kid is in the room. You know, that's 
pretty dangerous stuff. Yeah. So they're, they're just kind of forced to sit there and and listen to Harry ranting and raving yeah. about his father and about his son and yeah. about everything. And the, the thing that I always thought was powerful is, is that he's not just some guy who hates Spider-Man, but he is also Peter Parker's best friend. Yeah. You know? And then there's that. There was a part of us that, that loved him. him. Yeah. Yeah, there's a he constant... was like a brother to him. <laughs> <laughs> you were meant to save the Jedi, not destroy them. <laughs> <laughs> but there's there's this constant tension between the ins- insane part of Harry, that's the Green Goblin, and yeah. the the you know the normal part of Harry that still. Knows him as his friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's there's conflict internally between wanting to kill Spider Man and wanting to protect Peter Parker, his friend. Yeah, and so often, at least in this story, it it, it feels like that Green Goblin persona is kind of winning out in his mind. You know, like he's he's really starting to lose his sanity here. Yeah, because he just being affected by the the drugs that give him the green goblin abilities. Yeah. And so there's this there's an element of how Spider-Man himself, you know, Spider-Man doesn't truly view Harry as an enemy. He he views the green goblin as a threat, but he doesn't want to like he still believes deep down that Harry is his best friend and he wants to do something to to help him. Yeah, totally, totally. He doesn't want to just pound his face in, you know? Like, that's not really going to help him. Yeah. Like, he doesn't... He knows enough... Peter Parker knows enough about science to know that giving the dude a bunch of concussions isn't going to give him a clear head. Well, if you give someone enough concussions, it may damage their brain so severely that it alters their personality permanently. Yeah, but usually it just makes people depressed or, <laughs> or you know, like, it gives them, like, suicidal thoughts. Like, that wouldn't be too great. At least in real life, that's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, like, I wanted to mention that one of the things about it was um, you see... Yeah, one of the, 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 the elements of it that always jumped out at me uh, on a similar note as you were mentioning was that Harry Osborn is driven so mad by the years of just verbal abuse from his dad that uh, you even see, and I might be remembering this wrong, but don't you see, don't you see from Harry's point of view, uh, him talking to his dad at some point, like as like a, in that issue. Yeah. Was it that issue? Uh, shoot, I, I I can't remember off the top of my head, and I I didn't I don't have the issue uh, okay. at hand well, at this moment. Okay, so it it, it might have been in that issue, but if it's not, it was in one of the preceding issues. But um, yeah, you mentioned that Harry Osborn was going slowly going insane because of this conflict, and part of it is part of part of the thing that keeps him going is he sees there, there are moments where he sees the green goblin mask, but he's, he hears his dad's voice and 
Yeah, that that does sound familiar. Yeah, but I, yeah, I can't remember if it was this issue or if it was just in like a bunch of issues that had him. Yeah, and it's yeah, that always was something that stuck with me. This idea of the legacy of hate, how you know Norman Norman's abuse of Harry was just so traumatizing and so damaging to him that it just stuck with him all these years to the point where what he wanted his legacy to be was to emotionally scar his son so that <laughs> he would continue on the work for him, you know? And yeah, it, it's super dramatic stuff that just, just even stripped down to its most simplest parts. The idea that, you know, these two friends have been turned to mortal enemies. Like, yeah, it's, it's drama. It's drama. It's Shakespearean, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely an issue I would recommend to anybody listening out there. Look it up on Comixology or Marvel Unlimited, whatever you have. And yeah. It, even though, like, even though we were talking about how it's a culmination of uh, some stories that JMDM was writing, I would still say on its own, it stands out. Um, it stands. It makes sense even if you haven't read anything else. Like you can just read and enjoy this one issue on its own. Totally. And if you if you like this issue, I would also say look up uh, Spectacular Spider-Man number two hundred because that that continues the Harry Osborn Green Goblin story, and it's a really powerful, moving issue as well. Yeah, yeah. That entire run of Spectacular Spider-Man that he did was, you know. Uh, it's it's powerful stuff but again just to refocus ourselves this one spider-man uh spectacular spider-man 189 was was the event and um oh well one thing i did want to mention uh was i wanted to talk about sal basuma's art in it also his art's just gorgeous and the way that he draws like the emotionality on everybody it's just like I, I don't know how to describe it other than like I could just eat up every image of all the things that he draws. Um, yeah, there's there's this one scene in particular. Well, there's a couple scenes in particular. Like I'll, I'll just share two that have always stood out with me, stood out to me over the years. Yeah. Like number one, the actual fight between uh, Spider Man and Green Goblin. Like when they finally have a fight you believe that their blows are crazy powerful, man. Like both of these guys have super strength and they're just, just wailing on each other. Yeah. And the way that Sal Buscema draws it, it's just so kinetic, so action packed that you feel the force and you really believe that, you know, even someone like Spider-Man who's, who's kind of a slender, more agile type of guy, he has a lot of power when he strikes somebody. Yeah. Like that, that always stood out to me. And then, um, the facial expressions that Sal Buscema draws, like those always convey so much emotion. Like, I don't yeah. know if I would, I don't know if he's what real artists would consider uh, like a, like realistic, but the way that he's able to communicate uh, the emotion behind each of the characters that he's drawing is it's it's just really resonant like the one thing yeah. one thing that i really remember strongly is i guess this might be kind of a spoiler not really but basically at the end 
Spider-Man wins, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, hope hopefully that's not too much of a spoiler for you guys. <laughs> but but after Spider-Man wins, Norman's son, I mean Harry's son, little Normie, he he sees the aftermath of it, right? He sees he sees that Spider-Man has beat up his dad essentially. Yeah. yeah. And it's just super sad. Yeah. Like just imagine like being a little kid and seeing your dad get beat up. But Normie, the way that Sal Buscema draws Normie in that panel, he looks at Spider-Man, and the way he glares at Spider-Man... It's hate, dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You don't even need any dialogue or any narrative captions to describe anything. Like, it, it's just silent storytelling. The artwork is telling you everything you need to know. And the way that he draws Normie glaring at Spider-Man... It's almost like Spider-Man might have won the fight, but in a way, Harry kind of won because now it's almost like all that stuff he was saying earlier about legacy, it's almost like Normie's going to grow up and yeah. hate Spider-Man, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it hits you, man. It hits you. Yeah. Um, like, one thing that I was going to mention about his art and... You know, I'm not, I'm no professional artist, so I, you know, my analysis of art's probably pretty piss poor by comparison. But what I'd, I'd say that he draws in the way, uh, he, I feel like he takes elements of like the classic artists like John Romita Sr. or, or like, yeah, like a bunch of the older artists. Oh, well, I mean, he's, he's an older guy too, but. Um, he draws in this classic way that, or slash traditional, but the thing that's interesting about him is his angles are what really makes it interesting, you know? Mm, yeah. So yeah. although although everything still uh, looks, it, everything looks almost the way traditional old school comics artist drew uh people and figures he 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 makes the angles super pronounced so that it's almost i i don't want to say abstract but they're they're really sharp angles is what they are you know mm -hmm. almost i don't want to say cubist but it's all it almost feels like there's like a bit of cubism involved there if that makes any yeah. sense like you know yeah. what? It, you know how I would describe it. Now that I think about it, <laughs> and, and this might be kind of a funny way to think about it, but it kind of reminds me of like Powerpuff Girls. Really? Yeah. Like if you how think, so? if you think about the way that he draws the professor, uh huh. Like the really like sharp angles. Oh. But the aesthetic is still kind of old school, right? Mm -hmm. But, mm -hmm. you know, the way that he draws the outlines, the angles on the outlines are, like, really sharp, really pointy, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Actually, now that you mention it, I, I'd have to go back to his work and flip through it to see, but I, we, I wonder if he uses a lot of Dutch angles or something, like, because yeah, a even lot know of what those older are. artists... Yeah. Huh? Oh, it's you know, it's like when uh, when uh the shot like the frame the the camera shot um like what's depicted in the camera shot isn't parallel with the bottom of the camera like if there's a if there's 
you know, it's like tilted. Like if just imagine a filmmaker filming something, but uh-huh. tilts the the camera at an angle yeah, so that to give you, it a look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like if you're looking at someone walking on the sidewalk, um, the sidewalk or the curb, you know, it, it's a straight line, but it, it's not parallel with the bottom of the camera. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, when it comes to 90s artists, 90s Spider-Man artists, like, I feel like people always talk about Todd McFarlane or maybe even Eric Larson or uh, maybe, heck, maybe even Mark Bagley. But for my money, Sal Buscema's, yeah. he was the best of them. Yeah. Um. Yeah, the there was also another scene that I always this was a scene that stuck with me and I don't know if this was uh in in this issue in in Spectacular Spider-Man 189, it might have been in 200, but uh at w- at one point I do remember we revisit Normie and at this point he he's already has hate in his heart for Spider-Man and the scene is Normie's playing with these toys and he's holding this Spider-Man toy oh, and yeah. he's just like bad Spider-Man and you just watch him as he's just slamming the toy against the ground until he like smashes it to bits. But <laughs> that that was something that always was like, man, that kid is messed up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you think that's funny, Albert, huh? Um, uh, messed up children, <laughs> emotionally scarred children, hilarious. <laughs> That's my deaf comedy jam. <laughs> and I feel like we got to find you some kids so you can emotionally scar them. <laughs> You got to traumatize some poor little kid out there so he'll grow up hating his uncle or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, all right. Want to move on to the next one? Sure, sure. Okay, next we've got Ultimate Six. Uh, this was a story that took place within Ultimate Spider Man. Wait, yep. actually, yeah, it this was a it it was its own mini series. You're right, it was which is why it, which is why it qualified for our criteria. Right. So yeah, Ultimate Spider-Man. That's another series that was in our uh, Marvel Top Twenty Five. Should I? When did we talk about? I think that might have been like our second episode. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know, if if you. If you read Ultimate, if you read or if you read Ultimate Spider-Man and collected the trades, or you're just reading it uh, in order, Ultimate Six is clearly integrated into the overall story into the series. Uh, it's written by Brian Michael Bendis, and it was drawn by Trevor Harrison, mm-hmm. who isn't the normal Spider-Man ultimate Spider-Man artist that, yeah. at the time that was a uh, Mark Bagley. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm not personally a super big Mark Bagley fan. So the fact that Trevor Harrison draws this one, that's a, a positive for me. Yeah. 
but uh, yeah, I'll I'll just give a, a brief uh, summary of of the story. So, Ultimate Spider-Man, if you remember, was a basically a store a series that kickstarted Spider-Man without the baggage of continuity. So, it, it basically took the idea of what if Spider-Man, uh, what if we told the Spider-Man story f- beginning from his very origin uh, in the early two thousands you know, instead of the 60s. So we have a, a teenage Peter Parker. Uh, and at, up to this point, he's just been, you know, exploring his powers and, and encountering a lot of new villains and making friends at school and building relationships and things like that. Typical teenage stuff. Uh, but Ultimate Six came, comes out at a time when uh, the series had been established i think it was probably at least around like 40 issues deep by then yeah um if not a little bit more and at this point spider-man's already dealt with a good number of his name villains like he's dealt with electro sandman the green goblin dr octopus and even craven uh, yeah an ultimate version of craven yeah so you know this is an alternate universe or an alternate continuity so you don't really need to know uh all of the other history from the old spider-man comics you can just read ultimate spider-man if you want to get caught up Mm. but the interesting thing about ultimate six is that it's the ultimate version of the sinister six story so the sinister six was when six of spider-man's in the original continuity it's when six of spider-man's deadliest enemies grouped together um to form a thinking, team you know st- yeah they formed a team thinking that strength and numbers would help them finally take down spider-man mm. but this this version of the story there's a an interesting twist because really it's just five of them it's uh the green goblin sandman electro craven and dr octopus getting together and in the ultimate comics for for most of these guys, when Spider-Man fought them the first time, it it wasn't easy, you know. Like he didn't he didn't beat them in one issue, and this was when he was just fighting them one at a time. Like they they all pretty much gave him a run for their money, and he's a he's a kid, you know. He's a teenager, so you imagine these five grown men, hardened criminals, all of them, they decide to get together to kill this kid. <laughs> what it's funny it's comedy drew (laughs) grown men trying to kill children (laughs) exactly exactly i I knew you would get a kick out of it if that's how i tried to describe it (laughs) so the five of them get together, and I, I guess this is where a little bit of uh, the metafictional element takes place. Is because you, as as the reader, if if you're already a longtime comic book fan, you you know that hey, it's the Sinister Six. Who's their sixth member? Yeah. And I, I remember when this story first came out, as I was reading it, that was something that I was curious about. I was like. What are they? What's the what's the twist going to be? They were teasing it too, like the whole time. Yeah, they, they were, were really like, teasing it. It's a huge secret. It's a mystery. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I want to spoil that, so I, I don't think I will. I'll just, okay. uh, okay. yeah, I'll, 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 I'll avoid spoiling that part of the story just cause it's a little bit of fun. Yeah. But the, one of the things that, that, uh, isn't a harmful spoiler is, is that realistically speaking, uh, Spider-Man would have a really tough time uh, fighting all five of these guys at the same time. And plus there's the fact that all five of these guys, when you put them together, they're, they're uh, ultimate universe powerhouses. Well, maybe not Craven, but <laughs> everybody else, Yeah, you know, they're, this is a, a young universe where there aren't a whole ton of uh, super people running around. So when you put even five of them together yeah. and they're all uh, criminals, uh, yeah, Spider-Man's going to need a little backup. So the Ultimates enter the fray. Yeah. Basically the ultimate version of the Avengers. So it, it's it's kind of like the Ultimates fighting the Sinister Six. Yeah, which is a, a pretty fascinating idea, and and there's a, there's more to it. Um, I mean, I, I just gave like the general idea, but um, there's also a, a little bit of a Harry Osborn in here too. You know, it's it's funny we were just talking about the Harry and Peter saga, but Harry, the ultimate version of Harry, plays a an important role in this story as well, and it's it's a kind of a pivotal moment in the ultimate universe. Cause I think it's the first time that the ultimates appeared in a comic besides the ultimates, the, the ultimates that, that series took a long time to come out. So I think they just wanted to put out, give them some more appearances. So they figured this was probably a smart way to do it, to have the team show up and yeah. team up with Spider-Man establish them as a big deal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, to me it's a it's definitely a highlight of the Ultimate Spider-Man run, which was yeah. again one of the top 25 Marvel <laughs> comics of all time. Yeah, like that was the fun thing for me too was um you know, going back to your idea of the the meta aspect of the comic book. I think the thing that made this an event at least in my eyes was was the fact that so the ultimate version of Spider-Man was a relaunch of Spider-Man for modern times. And so up to this point, like you had mentioned earlier, he had been around for up to 40 issues and they had introduced each of these villains independently. And as someone who knows comics, there's, I think there was always a part of me that in the back of my mind was thinking... At some point, these villains have to form the Sinister Six because in um, in the Spider-Man mythos, uh, that's one of the main teams or yeah, one of the main teams slash events in Spider-Man's history that that always pops to mind. So you know when when you're when I was reading Ultimate Spider-Man and you saw all these villains. Again, in the back of my mind, it was just like it's only a matter of time until they all get together and form this this group. So how are they going to do it? Mm -hmm. And for them to like roll it out in this event was 
a big deal. So, yeah, that that that's just my little bit on that. Yeah, yeah. Look it up if you uh, haven't read it before. I think even if you haven't been, if you haven't read any Ultimate Spider-Man, it's still a fun comic to read just on its own. You get enough context, I think, to figure out who's who and why they're doing what they're doing. Mm. It's uh, Ultimate Six, a seven-issue miniseries by Brian Michael Bendis and Trevor Hairsign. Sweet. Moving on to the next one. The Death of Spider-Man. Yeah, we have Death of Spider-Man, another Ultimate Spider-Man story. Uh, This one, uh, I guess it's in the title, but it's about the death of (laughs) (laughs) Spider-Man. I guess that's a spoiler. (laughs) Spider-Man literally dies, and they uh, made an event out of it. It's actually um, technically a story arc in the Ultimate Spider-Man issues, but there were tie-ins as well. Like yeah. Ultimate Comics, uh, Ultimate Comics, Ultimates, I think, or Ultimate Avengers. Avengers. Yeah. The Ultimate Avengers uh, had a tie-in. But if you want to read the, the actual issues of the Death of Spider-Man story, it's Ultimate, uh, let me, I have issues right here. Let me uh, just grab them real quick. Issues 153 to 160. Yeah, Ultimate Spider-Man issues 153 to to 160. And again, it's uh, written by Brian Michael Bendis. A couple of prelude issues are drawn by, uh, like, David LaFuente, Sarah Pacelli, uh, Chris Samney. And then the main story is drawn by Mark Bagley. And, you know, he, he does the job. It's, it's fine. Uh, the story was a pretty big thing because it's the death of Spider-Man. You know, like, it's pretty much sold on, the, on that premise. And I think when it came out, people were kind of wondering what's the what's the uh what's the trick you know like they're not are they actually gonna kill him like it's the ultimate spider-man so i think for a lot of people they don't really consider that the quote-unquote real (laughs) spider-man whatever that means yeah (laughs) but yeah i think that it's a story that shows why Peter Parker is such a resonating character or a resonant character. He's someone that that uh, is very just lovable, I guess. Um, I would I would I would even go so far as to say that this this comic is something I would point to as an evergreen Spider-Man comic mm. if we were going down that road. It pretty much tells you everything you need to know about what makes the character work, what makes the character appealing. And it tells a pretty entertaining and exciting story. The the basic premise of it is the Green Goblin 
uh, Norman Osborn gets free and, you know, it's simple and straightforward enough. He, he wants revenge. He, he hates Spider-Man. Yeah. And at this point he knows, he knows everything about Spider-Man. He knows who Spider-Man is and who his family and friends are. Um, and you just know that's not going to end very well. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, their final battle. Yeah. It's interesting to me because, um, you know, in terms of a little bit of back matter, I, I think this was something that that came out after Ultimatum, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so... It was a couple of years, I think, after Ultimatum. Yeah, so I, you know, I can't say this with any certainty, but Ultimatum was another event uh, that happened for the Ultimate Universe, and I a think really bad event, a really bad event, and in the aftermath of it, uh, I really don't think the universe was ever the same. Their universe was ever the same again, and I don't mean that in terms of story. I just mean, I mean that in terms of like sales, <laughs> like. Yeah, it was damaging to the line, and um, if I had to guess, I think ever since that event, they were really trying to like re, re get, remake up ground. Or let me repeat. That. Yeah, they were trying to make up ground and kind of get back the goodwill that they had established in the early years of the uh, Ultimate Universe, and they really wanted to. If I had to guess, they wanted to establish the fact that, oh, this universe truly is uh, unique from yeah. the regular universe. And we want to be able to tell stories that aren't just rehashes of the stories that you do know. And yeah. I think the death of Spider-Man, well, one, yeah, I, I think the death of Spider-Man was kind of their big statement on that because... You know, it's Spider-Man. He's a flagship character at Marvel. And, you know, killing Spider-Man was was saying it in clear and certain terms that, yeah, this ain't, this ain't that other Marvel universe. You know? <laughs> <laughs> if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah. To, I think to comic book people, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah it, it's, it's true though because when ultimatum came out they killed a bunch of people in ultimatum in really ignominious fashion it was it was just shock value and it was stupid it was yeah maybe one day we'll do a deep dive into ultimatum and and discuss everything that was wrong with it yeah uh but uh suffice it to say it was it stunk yeah it was it was a fat turd that that <laughs> ruined the ultimate comics line. Yeah, and I would even say it it ruined the ultimate universe. Like, I'm, there's still a part of me that wonders, man, if they didn't do Ultimatum, would the Ultimate Universe have have lasted longer? Would it would it would it have lasted longer? That's I don't know. That's it. Yeah, it it feels like. After Ultimatum, everything in the Ultimate Universe started going downhill, and it made it easy for them to decide, let's just, you know, put an end to it. Yeah. Yeah. And But 
with Death of Spider-Man, they didn't want to give Spider-Man a cheap death like they did in like they the way they killed a bunch of people in Ultimatum. Yeah. They actually Bendis actually wanted to tell a real story, you know? Like this was a satisfying story. Like if you read Ultimate Spider-Man from issue 1 all the way to 160, you would get one really powerful and emotionally resonant story about a teenage superhero like it and you you would have closure at the very end you know yeah. because the character dies and you don't really feel like he got cheaped out he he like the way that he goes out in that story is absolutely true to everything that His, spider-man stands yeah. for the whole yeah. concept of power and responsibility coming back full circle because he's he, spider-man starts out failing to to save his uncle when he could have saved his uncle with his power mm. and at the very end of death of spider-man he dies by using his power to protect his aunt may yeah so I, yeah i would say that this story it even if someone hasn't been reading any ultimate spider-man it, it's still worth reading in and of itself just on its own nice nice plus there's the other thing that uh they ended up doing with the story is that it it basically forms the the backstory for for miles morales it it's part of his origin story like you don't you don't necessarily see it in these specific issues but when you learn miles morales origin story peter parker is he's miles's uncle ben (laughs) (laughs) which is pretty dang clever that's a good way to put that (laughs) yeah yeah it's yeah i I thought it was pretty clever yeah yeah the top of this we did mention that again ultimatum was just something that damaged this entire line of comics but um it really felt like after that they were trying a lot of things to, uh, you know, get back their goodwill and, uh, you know, they were just trying a bunch of different stories to just get people interested in again. And I will say like the death of Spider-Man and Miles Morales coming out of it was one of the things that lasted beyond the end of the ultimate universe to the point where, you know, Miles Morales exists in the quote-unquote regular Marvel Universe now, you know? Yeah, Which yeah. is kind of a testament to just how powerful that character and that idea were that they were able to survive the cancellation of an entire line of comics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And not only that, but Miles is kind of a pop culture yeah. uh, Icon. character in half. <laughs> Yeah, Icon. Totally, totally. So, the next one that we've got coming up, this is a lesser known uh, crossover and event, but it's it's worth, definitely worth mentioning. It's called Omega Effect. And uh, this was a crossover between Spider-Man, Daredevil, and The Punisher. Um, The different... uh, The uh, different creative teams on it included 
I don't really remember who the Spider-Man team was. I believe it was Mark Wade was the writer on that, and I and I know Mark Wade and Chris Samney were on Daredevil, and Punisher was Greg Rucka and Marco Cicchetto. Marco Cicchetto, right? I might have mispronounced his last name. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's the proper way to say his name. Yeah, but. The the main crux of the story, as I remember it, was it it was an offshoot from the Mark Wade uh, Daredevil storyline, in which in in Daredevil comics at that point he was dealing with something called super crime, uh, which was kind of the next evolutionary phase of criminal organizations. Oh, actually, sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, I, I just looked up all the, the credits. Yeah. Uh, so th- the story takes place in Avenging Spider-Man, Volume 1, Number 6, okay. Punisher, Volume 9, Number 10, Okay. and Daredevil, Volume 3, Number 11. And it, yeah, it was co-written by Wade and Rucka, uh-huh. and Marco Cicchetto actually drew all three of those issues. Oh, okay. Awesome. My bad. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay, so Marco Cicchetto drew all of it. Oh, that's kind of awesome. It's kind of similar to the Craven's Last Hunt. Sort yeah. Of consistency. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's a cool artist, too. Yeah, I like him. I like his style. But, yeah, uh, it was... So, from the Daredevil story uh, that... Or from what Daredevil... Or Mark Waid had been building up in Daredevil at that point... He was introducing the concept of super crime, which was, uh, I don't really know how to describe it other than, you know, like a souped up version of all of the criminal organizations uh, within the Marvel Universe. Um, Yeah. And uh, he he essentially creates this MacGuffin for Daredevil uh, called the what was it called again? The Omega Drive. The Omega Drive. It's as far as I remember, it was a it's a memory Wasn't storage it? device. Yeah. With like all the details regarding all of the various criminal organizations that exist in the Marvel universe and. Any organization that got a hold of that drive would basically be able to hold power over all of the other criminal organizations. Yeah, I think that was also something that Rucka had mentioned in his uh, Punisher run at the time too. Mm. I have to reread his Punisher, but that's yeah, that's what I remember. Like to to be honest, this I remember enjoying this story. Uh, I don't. It's been a while since I've read it. Since I only read it uh, when it came out like eight years ago. Yeah. Um, and I don't really remember Spider-Man's specific role in the story either. Yeah. I mainly when I think of the story, I mainly think of the Punisher and Daredevil. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I remember about the Punisher over the course of the story was at this point in time, the Punisher, the Punisher's arc in it was that they introduced a new character 
who was a woman who suffered a tragedy and more or less became a uh, she wanted to become like the Punisher and the Punisher took her in and was training her to be to 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 he was he taught her how to punish. Yeah, he taught her how to punish. He he taught her to <laughs> fight a war on crime, and that that was you know that was where his story intersects with Daredevil. Was I think at one point he ends up getting the Omega Drive, and yeah, it it was a pretty straightforward story from what I remember. It was just about this drive and the three of them trying to hold off these criminal organizations while getting their hands on this device. Yeah. 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 Pretty straightforward uh, action story. Yeah. With consistent artwork, so I think that made it easy to enjoy. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm in the same boat with you in the sense that it's been a while for me since I read it, so like the details aren't really vivid. But mm-hmm. my general impression of it was that it was something that I enjoyed, and I would still recommend it to this day. And you know, when the opportunity comes, I I do fully intend to reread it again. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm still trying to track down a couple issues of that Punisher run from uh different sales and stuff yeah so hopefully i can uh, complete that set yeah it, and we we've talked about this on the on on the side before but for some weird reason marvel like won't collect a bunch of greg ruckus stuff mm-hmm. uh so you know there, there's all sort of speculation that we could make as to why that is but it certainly doesn't make it easy for us, um, you know, wanting to read it or own it. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, even the Omega Effect, I, I don't even know if that's a trade. No, I, uh, I think it is. I think it is, yeah. because yeah. we read it from the library. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Next up. We have Spider-Men. Yep. Yeah. This is a five issue miniseries from 2012. It features the first meeting between the 616 or the original Marvel Universe, Peter Parker, uh, crossing over into the Ultimate Universe and meeting Miles Morales. It's the first time that. it's the first time they ever had a crossover between the regular Marvel universe and the ultimate universe. Mm. Like when, when the ultimate universe first came out, I remember Joe Quesada, the uh, editor in chief uh, saying that the only time you'll ever see the ultimate universe crossing over with the Marvel universe is when we run out of ideas. (laughs) 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 So I guess they ran out of ideas 12 years later. (laughs) But you know what? This is a fantastic story. Like I would, I would say this is another highlight of that of the whole Ultimate Spider-Man run. This is a story. The premise is that the 
original Marvel Universe Spider-Man is fighting Mysterio. And for some reason, Mysterio has some equipment that opens up a portal to the Ultimate Universe. So Peter falls through it and ends up in the Ultimate Universe. And that's when he, you know, encounters the you know, like uh, Nick Fury, ultimate Nick Fury, um, and and basically figures out that he's fallen into this alternate reality without getting into a crazy amount of details. There's a, they end up meet, he ends up meeting Miles Morales. He ends up meeting uh, the family and friends of, the ultimate Peter Parker, because remember at, at this point, Peter Parker, the ultimate Peter Parker is dead, but ultimate Aunt May and uh, Gwen Stacy, they're, they're still alive. They're still uh, supporting characters in, in the story. So there, there's a pretty cool scene where this adult version of the original universe Spider-Man meets ultimate Aunt May, ultimate Gwen Stacy and and they kind of like just have a conversation where they they talk about the differences between their worlds and and what are the what are Peter's versions of them like uh it's really just an excuse to have a crossover where Peter could meet Miles I think it's it's done really well and it's done in a way that that doesn't uh make it just feel like they actually ran out of ideas. It's it's done in a way where uh, you can enjoy this meeting that at the time we didn't think that it would really happen. We, I think it was more about uh, the idea that Miles was Spider-Man in the ultimate universe. And that was, uh, that was it. Yeah, I'd never read that one, so that's um, yeah. I I do remember you know that being kind of a big deal. So it's 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 something that um, that I would want to check out. I do remember you sending me. I do remember you sending me a couple of scenes from it, and you know the emotions in it was. It's pretty moving stuff, you know. It's kind of, it's it's that weird sort of storytelling where, well, I don't know. It's it's not necessarily weird, but it's something that kind of only happens in comics, right? It's like very comic book logic kind of storytelling. Yeah, it is, but I mean, what I was getting at was it's, yeah. It, it's the type of thing that only happens in comics, but, and, and it's, it's one of those things where, you know, where if you get to go to an alternate universe where you yeah. can kind of talk to the people that, you know, the people that you've lost, but you got one chance to see them again. It's, it's schmaltzy, but they found a way to make it work, you know? Yeah, yeah, it worked really well, and Sarah Pacelli's artwork is just excellent. She was the original 
um, main artist on the Miles Morales series. So it was really cool to see her uh, draw this one. I think this story is something that works even if you're not really super steeped in the current continuity at the time. I mean, basically, it, it's everything that you need to know is spelled out in the story. You you can easily figure out that it's Peter Parker crossing into the Ultimate Universe where he meets Miles Morales. Um, yeah, when you describe it like that, it sounds so silly. But at the same time, like if if they play it straight and do it well enough, it's like okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah exactly exactly yeah it, it's it's a nice peter parker story mm-hmm. but it's also a nice miles morales story what's next albert uh next we have batman and spider-man and this was written by J. Uh, it's another joint by J. M. D. Mateus, but uh, the art on this is done by Bagley. Is that Mark Bagley. It's Mark Bagley. Um, so this is something that I feel truly has become lost to the sands of time. Yeah, it's a Marvel and DC crossover from the '90s, so yeah. we're never gonna see that again. Yeah. Dude, you can't even find a reprint of that because they don't—they're not gonna reprint that. You gotta look for this in the back bins. issue box. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, you know, obviously this was an event, and it was kind of a big deal because they were crossing over, you know, two flagship characters from. I guess opposing publishing houses. <laughs> so yeah. So it was Batman and Spider-Man and I I'd be interested to see what the sales numbers on that were. I wonder if they were if it was effective in you know in selling a bunch of copies. But Yeah, I'm not sure. It did come out in the mid 90s when things were spiraling downhill, so I'm yeah. I'm not sure. But even though the 90s wasn't a great time for comics, I will say <clears throat> that this one crossover was... Because I think there were quite a few crossovers that were coming out, out around that period. Like, mm-hmm. don't uh, you remember like Silver Surfer and Superman? Uh, oh, was that the John Byrne one? I think so. And then yeah. there was a... There was a Captain America and Batman one, too. That oh, one, was there? I don't remember that one. Yeah, and in that one, they take on the Red Skull and Joker. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, I do remember that one. That one might have been Chuck Austin, I think. Chuck Wait. Austin or Chuck Dixon? Chuck Dixon, sorry. That was one of the Chucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, yeah, and like I can't say for sure whether, you know, this was something they were doing out of desperation to make up for sales or whatever. But uh there were there were a couple of these that were coming out at the time. I don't remember all of them, but there are quite a few of them that stick out in my memory. And uh, Batman and Spider Man was 
uh, was one of the better ones. Um, in it, what happens is you have the Joker and you have Carnage, and they're both being held at an insane, insane asylum. And there's a new process that the authorities have developed to implant these, I guess they're like neural dampeners into the minds of psychopaths in order to <laughs> um, alter their personalities so that they can re-enter society. Um, but what ends up happening is uh, Carnage, and if you don't know who Carnage is, he's he's like Venom, but lamer. <laughs> good description <laughs> he's 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 basically a, an evil spider-man that has a living costume that can make a bunch of sharp obje objects out of his skin it, it's a living costume that bonded with a person a, a psychopath in this case by the name of cletus cassidy and cletus yeah, Cletus Cassidy and uh, Cletus. That's a funky name. I can't. There aren't too many Cletuses in popular culture, and I can't say that I've ever met a Cletus. Have you? Never. Never. Yeah. So, uh, keep that in mind, boys and girls. Uh, for name bingo. Like, if you, can, if you can find a Cletus in your life, you can send that over to us and we'll give you a bingo. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give you a comic. We'll, well, I don't know about that, but. <laughs> Dang, man. <laughs> <laughs> Comics, mine. <laughs> Albert, no, watch, share comics. <laughs> Yeah, so this uh, this process, they the the insane asylum get a hold of Cletus Cassidy and the Joker, and they want to uh, experiment on them by putting these uh, surgically putting these dampeners into their brains to alter their personalities and have them re-enter society. But what ends up happening is, turns out Cletus was faking, uh, you know, being altered the whole time. And the symbiote that was bonded with him was just hiding deep in remission within his body, waiting for the time where it could escape. And it ends up removing the implant and kidnapping the Joker. And it turns out that Cletus Cassidy has always wanted to meet the Joker because, you know, he, he looks to the Joker as his inspiration and he removes the implant from the Joker and, you know, he, he thinks that they're going to team up together and they're just going to have all sorts of fun. And, you know, it, it's basically a kid looking up to his idol and thinking, oh, man, this is going to be so great. We're going to, like, join together and we're going to, like, do so much cool stuff together. You know, a kid meeting his idol and thinking that they're going to be best friends. And what ends up happening is the Joker looks at him and... He, 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 he doesn't see them as kindred spirits at all. He looks at him and he considers himself an artist, whereas 
he considers Cletus just a yokel. You know? <laughs> there is no art to his, there is no craft to his murdering. There is nothing uh, artistic or clever about what he does. He's just, you know, he's just a slasher. In, in Joker's eyes, he's just a, a slasher and a murderer. And the thing that always interested me uh, about... Yeah, so... Okay, well... Uh, so, obviously, Spider-Man and Batman end up having to team up to take these two down. But the thing that always interested me uh, about this this whole thing was how... Uh, at one point, Joker and Carnage begin... You know, once once they've established that they are not going to be friends, um, the Joker, I forget exactly what he does, but he, he finds a way to threaten uh, Carnage to the point where even though Carnage has this alien costume that gives him the powers to where he would realistically be able to kill the Joker in an instant, Joker's madness is just so insane that it freaks out Carnage and Cletus Cassidy so bad that the costume begins to lose its bond with him on some <laughs> level. Um, but yeah, it, it eventually ends up being this final battle, uh, you know, between the Joker and Carnage, but also between, uh, not between Spider-Man and Batman because, you know, they obviously end up teaming up. Um, but yeah, it becomes a final battle between with Batman and Spider-Man fighting against Joker and Carnage. It's funny how uh, you mentioned that scene where the symbiote and Cletus have a problem with their bond, like the bond starts breaking down. Yeah. Because that sounds like such a kind of an existentialist <laughs> concept that... JMDM would Only employ. JMDM could write something like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because I feel like any other writer probably would have just played it off like, uh, you know, it, it's just some scene where the their bond goes awry and, and, you know, he has to lose his power or feel that he has to be diminished or weakened in some way. But it kind of feels like even in a comic like this, uh, very commercial action oriented superhero comic. Yeah. It feels like there's, there's still something with, uh, JMD Mateus's, uh, existentialist approach in, <laughs> in the comic, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He has to be able to communicate that this guy has, was shaken so deeply to his core that he, again, he's traumatized and he is unable to function <laughs> yeah <laughs> as a as a result of his trauma yeah yeah it's uh, it's interesting like i before you know this podcast i i hadn't thought of this comic for a long time this was something i remember um reading because my brother bought it way back in the day and I just read it because it was Batman and Spider-Man, but all these years later, it's still, there were elements of that that still stuck with me to this day. So, yeah, I do think it's something that I'm, 
I'm going to want to revisit. I might, yeah, I might after this just go down downstairs and go check through the boxes of old comics, see if I can dig it out. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's one I, I don't have in my collection, but I definitely read it when I was younger. And I, I wish I had a copy. I wish I could find that in a quarter bin or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, uh, are there any other Spider-Man events or crossovers that we enjoy? Because I'm all tapped out. Uh, I believe that is the cream of the crop in terms of the stuff that we want. We would uh, uplift as Spider-Man events uh, that we enjoy. But it'd be funny if there was something super obvious that we just totally forgot and somebody like hits us up on social media or whatever (laughs) just to be like, hey, how could you guys forget this one? (laughs) You know what? If you guys are listening and there's one that you feel that we've uh, we've missed out on, then hit us up. Let us know. We're we're willing to be educated. Yeah. Yeah. We always want more good comics so you got to find out but that being said there are we do have a secondary list here of uh crossover spider-man crossover event and events that exist and it's not that we missed them we were aware of them but they weren't crossovers or events that we we venerate (laughs) not at all no if anything we Devenerate them. Is that a word? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't. I'm gonna go with no. I don't. I don't think it is a word. <laughs> but you know, we know what you mean. <laughs> well, the the first one, the the big one that I think everybody, well. A lot of people our age, I guess, people who grew up in the 90s will think of be Maximum Carnage. Yeah, even even now, I kind of wonder... Well, okay, you, you, you have your finger on the pulse of um, the comics community more than I do, but do people like Maximum Carnage? I think people who grew up in the 90s like it. I see. You know, the kind of people... That would say Onslaught is a hidden gem of the 90s, or Age of Apocalypse is one of the greatest X-Men stories ever. Yeah. Those are the kind of readers that I would I think would say Maximum Carnage was an awesome story. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so I- for, for those of you guys that did not grow up reading comics in the 90s, Maximum Carnage was... Uh, I think it was a 14, 12 or, no, I'm pretty sure it was 14, a 14 part crossover throughout, um, all of the Spider-Man titles at the time. So there was Web of Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, Spectacular Spider-Man and Adjectiveless Spider-Man. And there was also, uh, at the time they just relaunched, they launched a new series called Spider-Man Unlimited, which was like a quarterly, uh, extra sized series yeah uh but the the premise of maximum carnage is again it it takes the character carnage who is venom's uh the venom symbiote's offspring 
with bond that bonded with Cletus Cassidy, <laughs> <laughs> and it's a story about Carnage uh, basically breaking free from prison or his a uh, his asylum and teaming up with a few different other uh, sociopaths. Yeah, low tier sociopaths like these guys are characters that nobody ever thinks of nowadays. You know, like you got uh, Demo Carrion, huh? Uh, wait, who did you say? Carrion. Carrion. Yeah. And Demo Goblin. Yeah, Demo Goblin. Uh, Doppelganger. Who was a? Yeah, Doppelganger. Like Doppelganger was a was a weird double of spider-man from the infinity war saga or something he was a right? survivor of like, <laughs> yeah. for some odd reason all of the other doppelgangers died but that one survived <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i don't get it either <laughs> he was just a six-armed freaky version of spider-man yeah <laughs> with and, teeth uh you were gonna describe a uh, demo goblin yeah wasn't he just uh a version of Hobgoblin that, like, Hobgoblin had made a deal with, uh, with a devil or something, and... <laughs> that, this reminds me of our last episode when we were yeah. talking about making deals with the devil. <laughs> oh, man. And anytime you have a story, start out with, this dude made a deal with the devil... <laughs> Yeah, so he was just a literal demon version of Hobgoblin where his, you know, his skin was all scaly and demonic and he had a Yeah. He had a flaming uh goblin glider and he had like a long tongue kind of like Venom. <laughs> yeah, long tongues were pretty popular back in the 90s. Yeah. Long tongues, sharp teeth, massive amounts of drool, claws, talons. Yeah, claws. Yeah. What what have you? Yeah. But anyway, Carnage gets together with these characters. Oh yeah, there was also Shriek, who yeah. was his lover. Yeah. I guess she was kind of like his Harley Quinn. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. So the way that I think of the their crew or whatever you want to call them is I feel like someone watched Natural Born Killers and decided that they wanted to turn it into a a comic book so it it felt like this was like what you would get if you had a super villain version of the manson family or something like that <laughs> yeah yeah that was basically the story it, it was carnage and his crew or his his family going on a killing spree in new york city they just they just went nuts and started killing random people and a bunch of people, in fact. So it caused Spider-Man uh, to team up with various other characters, including Venom. So at this point, Venom was becoming something of an anti-hero. Mm. And Venom, I guess he felt some sort of responsibility because he was the one who was kind of, you know, because Carnage was technically his, his offspring. So yeah. he had to bring an end to him. But... It was the two of them, and they teamed up with, like, Cloak and Dagger, Iron Fist, Deathlock. Firestar. Oh, yeah, Deathlock was in there. Yeah. Um, I think Captain America, too, right? 
I don't remember. Like it, it was such a long series, and it it could have been significantly shorter. I just remembered that every issue just felt like it was another altercation, and they would lose, and then they would re-engage them in the next issue. You know? Yeah, it was super repetitive, man. It was it was basically it was fourteen issues, and it was basically every issue was they're about to. The Spider-Man is about to, you know, beat them, or yeah, like he's got him on the ropes or whatever, or or Venom's about to to kill Carnage and and end it once and for all, and then Spider-Man's like, "No, we're heroes, we're good guys, we don't kill." And then while they're arguing, uh, Carnage and them get, get away. away. Yeah. yeah, and it would happen over and over and over again. <laughs> or like if it wasn't that, then you know. Some other hero would jump in and screw things up at the worst possible time. Or, you know, uh, it was... Repetitive was a really good way to describe it. It was just really tedious and repetitive. Yeah. The the sad thing is that uh, JMD Mateus did write a couple of the issues. Yeah. And I, from what I can remember, his issues did... Uh, they were definitely better than the the rest of them because this is another one of those crossovers where there were so many, so many uh, cooks in the kitchen. It wasn't really a coherent story. Mm. Like you had some pretty bad writers like uh, Tom DeFalco, yeah, writing chapters. Uh, Terry Cavanaugh, those guys. I, don't, I can't really think of anything, any good <laughs> comics they ever did. Yeah, I mean, so it was. It's it's just yeah. a slog to get through. Yeah. It's don't read it, kids. <laughs> <laughs> we grew up reading this, and we don't want to read it again. <laughs> um, up next we have, and this is a pretty big one in Spider-Man's history, but we have the Clone Saga. Um, yep. I don't even remember who the creative teams behind this was, but. It was a story that was based on a much older um, Spider-Man story where Spider-Man fought a clone of his uh, that was cloned by a villain by the name of Jackal. And at the end of that older story, it was implied that that version, that clone hadn't died and he had actually gone on to live and years later um they wanted to revive the idea of what if that clone had survived and what if yeah so okay no now i remember so at the end of the uh at the end of the original comic it was a question of whether the spider-man that won was the real was the real spider-man or whether he was the clone and then when they revived the Clone Saga, uh, a big part of it was the revelation that the Spider-Man that we had known all along was actually the clone. And the real Spider-Man lost that day all those <laughs> years ago. And he had been robbed of a life. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty sure there's more to it, but I don't know that I want to go into it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there isn't really a whole lot that's worth uh, 
diving too deeply into. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think, yeah, I think most people who have been, who, who read comics, even if you didn't grow up in the 90s, at some point you eventually learn about the Clone Saga. It was something that lasted for years. Like it, yeah. It was something that affected Spider-Man stories for years after they had put it. It was out. like two years. Like yeah. the whole, the whole mid '90s was the Clone Saga. So yeah, it it had all these different creative teams. It was on like every single Spider-Man series was was telling this ridiculously overextended uh, story. I mean. I'll, I'll I'll go so far as to say that there were a couple chapters that were gems. Like, I'd specifically, again, J.M.D. Mateus, one of the greatest Spider-Man writers of all time. Yeah. He he wrote the issue that happened during this era where, where Aunt May dies. Yeah, and I, from what I remember, that was a pretty touching uh, tribute to Aunt May. Yeah, it was a really powerful, touching, standout story. Yeah. Like if, like if that had actually been the the end of uh, Aunt May, like that was a f- really fitting and emotionally satisfying uh, and send off. Yeah. You know, like that was a like that that story. Um, I still have my copy of it actually. Like I. I didn't actually own the copy like back when the story was coming out, but I think maybe in the early 2000s when I was getting back into comics, I found it in a back issue bin and I ended up just picking it up because I remembered it. Yeah. But that that was that was the one bright spot in the whole story. And if you're listening to this now and you're like, what are you talking about? Aunt May's not dead. <laughs> 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 It's because some other writer years down the line, or not probably not even years, like a couple months down the line, yeah, brought her back because apparently the Aunt May that died in Amazing Spider-Man number four hundred was a really talented actress. Yeah, <laughs> they she fit Peter Parker <laughs> <laughs> to dress up like his Aunt May and yeah. act the part. <laughs> And and then literally die. <laughs> literally died so that you know the the paramedics or whatever, you know, took her body and said she's dead. <laughs> so silly. Super bad. Yeah. But I would recommend to anyone listening out there, look up Amazing Spider-Man number four hundred. Look it up on Comixology or Marvel Unlimited and, and just read a really nice story about Aunt May. Even though it takes place in the midst of all this clone junk, yeah, it, it works even without knowing anything else because J.M.D. Mateus is a great writer. But I, I will say that the Clone Saga, because it was so... Re- number one, it was ridiculous in terms of its premise saying that the Peter Parker for the past like 20 years was actually a clone all along. Yeah. <laughs> and then bringing back the so-called original Peter Parker, that was like a really bad premise to yeah. make it 
it, it made it feel like they were cheating the readers, you know, like a be- it betrayed the readers. And even though um, what they ended up doing was go, they went back on their original intent because there was People a lot of outrage. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it was still a bad era. Like all the stories were, it just feels like it's all tainted, you know? And yeah, uh, it was it dragged on so long like they kept like i think originally it was meant to be a shorter story but because uh i guess the earlier chapters somehow did well they decided oh we got to you know drag it out as long as possible for marketing purposes uh it yeah it, it was so tedious it it really was one of the reasons why as a kid i i stopped reading and buying comics altogether because i just felt like man i'm never gonna be able to get all of the the tie-ins or the chapters to this story so i'm it's easier on me if i just completely stop reading it <laughs> yeah but if i could stop reading spider-man i can stop reading a lot of the other junk comics that i was collecting <laughs> yeah it was i don't know there was just a lot of stuff about it that was it was very soap opera-y, and they were constantly just trying to one-up the stakes with just more revelations and more uh, twists. And I just, I wasn't, a, I wasn't into it at all, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it just, like that idea that it wasn't me. It was my evil twin. It's just super soap opera you know? That's melodrama. Like, we were talking about melodrama earlier. That is melodrama to me. Yeah. It's an imposter. Yeah. It's my twin brother, Diego. (laughs) It's your... It's your twin brother, Alberto. Exactly. (laughs) Oh man! And then there that led into something called maximum clonage. I don't, I don't even remember maximum clonage. Well, I don't think I read it. But just the fact that that name exists—that's just awful. I mean, here's the here's the thing about that. So, Clone Saga is—I want to say that it's universally reviled, but I I don't know. Maybe there's someone out there who still thinks well of it. See if if it was so reviled, why did Marvel make omnibuses of it? Why did why does Marvel keep it in print? Why do they keep yeah. on making trades and hardcovers? I don't know. And who's buying it? Who justifies these uh, productions? Probably the same people that buy every single omnibus that comes out just because it's an omnibus. Probably. But the thing about Maximum Clonage is this was a this was an event that happened in Dan Slott's Spider Man run. And that's no ma- maximum clonage, was that was a uh, like a Tom DeFalco thing? Oh no, I'm sorry, I'm thinking of uh, clone. You're thinking conspiracy. of the clone conspiracy, I think. Well, okay, we'll we'll talk about clone conspiracy later. But again, like, yeah, it, so it clearly was something that just kept spinning off, and even though at least to me, it feels like it's one of those titles that people point to to show how bad the 90s was. They, it feels like they keep tapping back into it. And I don't know I, why. 
I wonder if it's just nostalgia, because if it's nostalgia, I can kind of understand it, but it feels bizarre to me to 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 have so much nostalgia for, for... something that's bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thought that I had. What if what if it's just this stubborn sense of pride where they think that okay, this was something that was a big part of Spider-Man's mythology. Granted in a bad way, but what if I can be the guy that can put the twist on it that finally makes it work? You think that's why Dan Slott did the clone conspiracy? Uh, wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> I mean, okay, uh, uh, so you showed me that picture the other day of uh, this chart that Tom Scioli put together uh, that kind of outlines different writers' approaches to characters that they write. And Oh, wait, are you talking about the Michel Fife thing? Oh, oh my bad. Uh, yeah. F- uh, Michel Fife, not Tom Scioli. My bad. But that is... So one of the things that he put on his list was uh, one of the ways that writers uh, one of the approaches that writers take when they get a chance to do a character is they just rehash quote unquote greatest hits so there's a chance that Dan Slott was or that any of these writers are just doing greatest hits because for some weird reason, they have it in their hit, head that the Clone Saga is the greatest hits. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't get it. Now I'm just trying to make a sense of madness. <laughs> yeah. You think there's any possibility that they don't necessarily think it's the greatest hit, but they just recognize it was significant and they want to do a better version of it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's essentially what I was saying earlier, that, you know, there's, when I said pride, <clears throat> maybe that that reflected badly on my thoughts of the writers, which was what I was intending, but maybe they believe that there is something to the core nugget within the concept of that story, and they believe that there is a way to do that story right. I will say that when Bendis and Bagley did the ultimate clone saga, that was some great stuff. That was the clone saga done right. Okay. And Bendis and Bagley did ultimate Venom. And I think at least amongst us, we can say that that was probably the version of Venom that made the most sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd probably say that original Ultimate Venom story is probably the greatest Venom story that I can think of. Mm. Off the top of my head, at least. They, all, I mean, they also did Ultimate Carnage. Yeah. Uh... And all of those, like, <laughs> it's 
like the ultimate venom ultimate carnage ultimate clone stuff yeah that was all better than the original stuff yeah yeah i you know what talking to you about this now i do wonder like the people that liked it i there's a part of me that's curious what it is about it that they like yeah, it could just be the fact that they grew up reading it. I, I mean, did the revelation that Spider-Man was a clone all along, was that something that hit you so, hit somebody so hard that in their mind they're like, yeah, that that was a great reveal. <laughs> <laughs> like... I I never thought comics could be that cool. <laughs> I don't know, man. I got no answers for that. We gotta we gotta find somebody who's a, a genuine, sincere fan of the Clone Saga and, and interview him. Okay. I think that's that's the only thing that we could do to investigate. That is the solution. Actually, I just thought of another gem from the Clone Saga era, but. Again, J.M.D. Mateus, he did a four-issue miniseries. I think it was four issues, but he did a miniseries called Spider-Man The Lost Years. Yeah. It had uh, John Romita Jr. art, and that was a story about uh, Ben Riley, the, the clone of Peter Parker. The clone that who, wasn't a clone. That was. <laughs> yeah, the, the clone that, that they were trying to tell us was the original. Yeah. And it was just a solo story about him um, before you know everything went south. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was a pretty good comic i mean it it's it's a a premise that i'm i'm not interested in because it's the clone saga yeah <laughs> it's 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 about a clone but i think within those parameters jmd mateus still managed to tell a very human and uh emotional story about one man's journey you know to yeah. heroism yeah so, yeah, I mean, I guess that's the only, like, if, if somebody's super curious about the Clone Saga, I guess you could look up that on Comixology and look up Amazing Spider-Man number 400, the death of the Aunt May actress. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. Uh, that, that, to me, that was the real Aunt May. The Aunt May that's been alive ever since, that's that. That's the actress. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. She is such a great actress that she's been fooling Peter Parker every day since she came back. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> oh, man. So, moving on, uh, another... Uh, yeah, speaking of coming back from the dead, man, we got to talk about the other. The other. Um, the other. That one was from the like the mid two thousands by uh, J M or not J uh, J Michael Straczynski. Yeah, J M Straczynski. <laughs> yeah. So, J Michael Straczynski. This. Uh, I'm, I think I... Peter David might have written some of the issues too, because he was writing Friendly Neighborhood at the time. Oh. And I think I think Reginald Hudlin was writing Sensational Spider-Man. I think you're right about that. Reginald, I do remember Reginald Hudlin writing some Spider-Man. I just didn't remember which specific ones. Um, yeah, but this was a 
this was an event that stemmed from what Jay, uh, J. Michael Straczynski was writing in his main Spider-Man series. Um, he introduced the idea that Spider-Man received his powers from an animal totem that powers that be in the spiritual realm uh, chose to imbue him with the powers of a spider and you know the radioactive spider biting him was just the delivery device I guess <laughs> um, but then uh, one of the things that he had brought up in his story was that you know for every animal totem there is an opposite or some or you know there is something that feeds off these animal totems or that uh destroys these animal totems and in this case it is the other does that sound like an accurate description of that because i don't remember it too well yeah, I mean, I'm. It's that's basically it. Uh, Morlin was the super villain. Like he's like this, the guy who hunts down all the spider totem people f- across the. I guess the multiverse. Is um, that the multiverse? I think so. Because wasn't he also in Spider Verse? He was like the main bad guy in Spider Verse. Was he? Dang, I, I think am so. so behind on these. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, in the other, um, I, th- I think at that time he was only after uh, our Spider-Man. Yeah, uh, and it was basically a story about Spider-Man. I don't remember. I don't even remember uh, a lot of the details. I just remember it was about Spider-Man getting. He either got beat up so bad, or or like was put into some like death-like state, and entered uh, like a cocoon or something, and then gain some new powers when he came out yeah um, so he could fight marlin on on the same level or something oh it was just super ridiculous man he yeah he, he that had was, organic web shooters yeah they gave him organic web shooting he, abilities he became a vegan he became a vegan yeah because they were organic web shooters <laughs> <laughs> what does that have to do with being a vegan they're organic <laughs> all right all right you kind of threw me for a loop there i was uh i was extremely confused but n- now i think i comprehend uh i gotta your keep intent. you on your toes boy yeah yeah you keep them on my toes man I- i'm definitely tiptoeing right now um the one one of the funny things i remember about that crossover was i think because it was written by these different creative teams there were some pretty funny continuity gaffes yeah like i remember this one issue uh mary jane had a broken arm and then the next issue uh like her her arm was broken and it was in a cast and stuff and then the next issue which you know took place like immediately after the previous one but it was written by a different dude and drawn by a different person um her arm was totally fine (laughs) it was just like it was like, man, these people. What is the editor doing? You know, like it's not very editor's not even paying attention. Yeah, yeah. Some of the art was really bad too. Like I think, I think Pat Lee drew some of it. Oh, 
Uh, one of the things that I do remember, and this might just be one of those um, like comic book rumors, but this was around the time that the Spider-Man movie came out. And I think yeah. in the Spider-Man movie, they had Toby him. Tobey Maguire. Yeah, they, this was like the first Spider-Man movie. And they, I think they had him with organic web shooters in that, didn't they? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, so the thing was, they wanted to make, find a way to make this Spider-Man more, or like to make the comic book Spider-Man more like the movie Spider-Man. So, lame. that was how they did it. Now, I, I don't know if that was uh, for sure, if there's truth to that, but like I said, that that might just be one of those comic book urban legends yeah 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 i got no love for the other yeah i can do without that yep next up on our list we have minimum Minimum carnage Carnage. yep we had maximum carnage and then several many years later there was minimum carnage i'll be honest man i didn't even bother reading minimum carnage i think i looked at the premise of it when the solicits came out back in the day and Uh i was like Oh, yeah, I don't need this in my life. Yeah, I, uh, likewise, I did not read about, read it, but I did not even read about it, so, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, (laughs) from the covers, it looked like some sort of carnage virus or something like that. Yeah, real cool. Yeah, I think it was about a, a tiny version of carnage. Because he was minimized. That's why it was minimum carnage. And instead of going on a rampage, he just threw a little temper tantrum. <laughs> well, if that's what it was, I may actually have more interest in that than <laughs> maximum carnage. <laughs> yeah, because maximum carnage, that was... He went to the to the max. You know, he was yeah. killing people. He was slaughtering people left and right. But if it's minimum, like the least amount of damage that he can possibly do, he was just throwing a temper tantrum. Uh, I mean, if it were me, I would have, I would have seen if I could take, have taken that even further. And I would have just made him passive aggressive carnage. (laughs) (laughs) The next great event of 2021 coming soon. to a comic store near you passive aggressive carnage. It's just him making like, low-key statements that are meant to damage your ego (laughs) (laughs) your feelings (laughs) it's it's carnage it's cletus cassidy going to the bar and negging women (laughs) (laughs) oh man i'll buy that for a dollar (laughs) (laughs) all right another big one from recent memory was spider island yeah did you ever read spider island uh, I read a tie-in, but I'll, if we're going to continue our trend of being honest, this was an instance where I read the synopsis, and that was enough for me to know that I didn't have too much interest. I I will say, like most of these, um, I'm I'm willing to entertain the possibility that I could be wrong. If, if there was enough hype and if enough people that I respected said that it was actually 
good, then sure, I'll I'll give it a chance. Or I would, or at the if at the time that was the case, I would have given it a chance. But honestly, I think for most of these, time has done the trick of vindicating my decision making. <laughs> yeah, I haven't I haven't heard anybody talking up Spider Island. Yeah, it's, no one I respect. Spider Island. <laughs> Like from from what I remember, it was a story about how a bunch of people in somewhere in New York City uh, get infected by something that gives them spider powers. Yeah. So like you you had all these random characters suddenly exhibiting spider powers. Even like it goes from like normal people all the way to other superheroes getting spider powers. Yeah. And Shang Chi got spider powers. Yeah. yeah, how they got to how they going to do our boy Shang-Chi like that, man? That's just he don't need he spider don't powers, need spider man. Powers. He's, he's already a weapon. Yep, for show. Sure. Yeah, Spider I I read bits and pieces of it. Yeah. I think it was just one of those comics where it was a big it was it had a lot of hype or I don't even know if it was hype, but it had a lot of marketing behind it. Yeah. So just out of curiosity, I was like, I'll just try to read this just so I know what, what it's about and yeah, I found out what it was about, and I stopped reading. Yeah, yeah. It's That's pretty much all there is to it. <laughs> I feel like it was something that... It came from a place where they kind of had a high-minded idea, which was, you know, Spider- Spider-Man is this unique character, but what if one day he woke up and found out that he wasn't quite as unique as he thought? Like... What is it about this new world? Like, how does Spider-Man matter in this new world? You know? But, yeah, it's like, if everybody's got spider powers all of a sudden, what makes Peter Parker so special? Yeah, but I don't think that what they did was... I mean... Yeah, they did not really tell that story. Yeah. Um, I felt like the way that they executed it, it was more... Check out all these spider people. Now they're going to fight a bunch of other spider people. Yeah. Yeah. And that's... it's Maybe it's cool if you're someone who hasn't read a lot of comics. Like, if that's your one of your first experiences with Spider-Man. I don't know. Maybe that is an entertaining story. Yeah. But, you know, we grew up reading J.M.D. Mateus. We need a little bit more than that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd even go as far as to say that that it's just it's a pretty corny idea. <laughs> it's pretty corny. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I I I read that synopsis and I really couldn't get past it. Um. Yeah. Like I'm I'm all for stories that deconstruct Spider-Man and you know Peter Parker and why he's special. Uh, you know what it is about his character and his spirit that makes Peter Parker and Spider Man special. I'm, I'm, I'm all for that, right? But, yeah, you're not gonna find it in Spider Island. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Spider Island ain't ain't doing that for me. So yeah, there we go. I think if you're if you want to find the answer to that, you just gotta read. Like it's like. Just go to Ultimate Spider-Man, you know? It's like, that's the default. Yeah. Go to Ultimate Spider-Man if you just want to figure out what makes Peter tick. You want to find out what makes him an appealing character, what makes him work. Yeah. 
Yeah. The other, the next event that's on our list that uh, was pretty notable from what I don't know, maybe fifteen years ago now. I forget exactly how long, but one more day by J. Michael Straczynski again. Yeah. This was the story where <laughs> Spider Man makes a deal with the devil. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, yeah. So in. At one point, Spider-Man reveals his secret identity to the world in an act of good faith. Uh, yeah, during the Civil War. Yeah, during crossover the Civil War or the Civil War event. event. But as a result of him revealing his identity to the world, his uh, his Aunt May ends up getting. Oh wait, the actress that plays Aunt May <laughs> ends up getting shot. <laughs> And well, so she ends up getting shot and she's in a hospital and she's dying. And, you know, Peter Parker, he he has to live with this guilt. And, um, you know, in his darkest mo- hour, in his darkest moment, he is approached by Mephisto, Mephisto. And, oh, well, prior to this, keep in mind, Spider-Man travels, you know, to all of his superhero buddies trying to find a solution to, to see if there's a way to save Aunt May, and he's unable to do so. And then in his darkest moment, Mephisto shows up and offers him a deal where <laughs> he says, if you give me something that I want, I will make the world forget your secret identity and I will restore the life of your aunt may. And, you know, they go on this spiritual journey where Spider-Man gets to see different versions of how his life could have been, uh, you know, uh, had he made different choices. Uh, mm-hmm. ultimately what he finds out that Mephisto wants is it's not his soul that he wants. Uh, it's, his marriage. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I can't, I can't really phrase it any other way because that's, I'm pretty sure that's literally what he said. Yep. Yeah. That's literally what Mephisto said. I think he's, he said, I want your marriage. So he wanted to marry Spider-Man. He <laughs> 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 wanted Spider-Man to be single again. So he could have him for himself. <laughs> So, okay, so here's the idea behind that. He didn't want Spider-Man's soul because, in his words, what he wanted was he wanted to dissolve the marriage between Spider-Man and Mary Jane because he wanted to own that marriage because he knew that deep down inside Peter Parker's heart and soul, he would be forever tormented by the love that never was mm-hmm. essentially um mm-hmm. and yeah ultimately uh spider-man and mary jane decide to make that decision and they spend one last day together um before the world is remade and you know peter parker goes back to being a single guy mary jane and him never get married um, he even has a moment where uh, he sees that in one of the alternate lives that 
they were traveling through on their spiritual journey, he meets the daughter that he will never have. Mm-hmm. And, and that's revealed to him that this little girl was the daughter that he will never have now that he's made this deal. Um, yeah, and that's that's one more day. Uh, yeah, that's, it's just another corny, corny, corny idea, you know? Uh, it's it's not only a corny idea, but it's also something that rewrote continuity and made things confusing because they were saying, uh, you know, number one, nobody knew who Peter Parker was and, or nobody knew that he was Spider-Man anymore. So he had his secret identity back. And also he and Mary Jane uh, never got married, but they still had their relationship and a lot of the adventures from the old Spider-Man comics, they were, it wasn't like they just said those never happened either, you know? So it it didn't really make sense anymore. Like they, it just, it was just another, uh, really anal continuity patchwork thing where they're, they're trying to tell you that certain things happen, but certain things didn't happen. Yeah. But they weren't really specific about it. So, it was kind of just left super vague and that made it, uh, I don't know. It just made it feel like super, it made it feel cheap. Like they didn't really yeah. think it through. Like their, their primary goal was to have a single Spider-Man again yeah. because they felt like, I think that, I think editorial felt that having Spider-Man be a married man aged him too much, but that's kind of ridiculous because I think, we all know people who got married in their early twenties or whatever. And yeah, it's like, yeah, I just find that a ridiculous excuse. It's like, did they not think that a married Spider-Man could have depth or adventures or yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it, man. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it feels like, so when, they originally conceived of Spider-Man. He was a kid in high school. But, you know, up to this point, decades had passed since that point, And I don't know. It's it's just weird to try to de-age him back to a version of himself where yeah. he's not married because... We, we want him to be a young, single bachelor again because that's what people relate to. <laughs> it's, yeah. I, I don't know, man. They, they could have kept him married and just invented Miles Morales years later and, like, kids can jump on board to, with Miles Morales, you know? If you want yeah, someone exactly. with that point of view or with that perspective. but yeah. Yeah, but now we're stuck with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely not ideal. That yeah. Stay away from one more day. Yeah. It's 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 a comic that's the worst kind of continuity pornography, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it, it's completely centered around the idea of continuity. And I think that's what makes it very uninteresting. 
if they had been able to tell a story, like even if they had told that story where he meets Mephisto and made it more of an exploration of, I guess, his desires and his hopes, that could have worked a little bit better than making it ultimately a story about removing his marriage. Yeah. Because yeah. it felt like the point of that story was to remove his marriage. It didn't feel like the point of the story was like something meaningful and and uh, like emotionally resonant. It just felt like they were trying to tell a story to get to, to move some chess pieces around on a board, you know? Yeah, totally, totally. So next up, we have another uh, re- more recent story. We have Spider-Verse. That was a crossover from a few years ago. I wasn't a fan of Spider-Verse. I, I, I don't know if I read the whole thing, but I read enough of it to know that I didn't enjoy it, so I stopped. Uh, well, yeah. See, here's the thing. Um, tell me if I'm wrong, but is this more Dan Slott stuff? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Okay. Yeah, so that entire era of Spider-Man, and it's a long era, it's like 10 years worth of Spider-Man stories. Um, that's an entire era of Spider-Man that is just kind of a blind spot to me. I, it's not that I inherently necessarily had anything against Dan Slott, but it's just that every time one of these big events came out, uh, I looked into the synopsis and I was just like, yeah, not this time around. <laughs> you know, it was it always just felt like a miss, right? Yeah. So Spider-Verse is one that I uh, skipped out on. So I have no idea what it's really about. All The only Spider-Verse to me is the movie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say Into the Spider Verse, the movie, that was way better than this comic, man. I believe and it. it. It's basically just the name that's the thing that they have in common. The name and the idea of a uh, multiverse. multiverse. Yeah, but uh, Spider the Spider Verse comic. That was another Morlin story, and I'm not a fan of that character to begin with. Yeah. So this idea of of Morlin going to the various spider verses, uh, yeah, the various worlds just to kill the different spider people, that was I just thought that was tiresome, man. <laughs> uh, it, it it really didn't interest me because it felt like the story was just a bunch of fights. You know, it was just a it was just a reason for for us to see different versions of Spider-Man uh, fighting each other. And maybe that's, cool. I don't know, maybe for that's some people someone. that's <laughs> enough entertaining. That's enough entertainment for someone. But uh, yeah, I just feel like I need something with a little more depth if it's going to do that. And this did not provide it. It was purely just an excuse to draw a bunch of different looking spider-man like just to i'm sure the artists had fun coming up with little twists and different ideas and hey this is the story that did give us spider gwen and yeah i think it was the one that uh kind of brought spider-man 2099 back into 
back in well not the forefront but but back but, yeah he brought him back yeah i enjoyed spider-man 2099 yeah i enjoyed that character um yeah. and i enjoy the spider gwen character I, I think this was the story that also introduced silk yeah uh, i like her as a concept uh, i can't say that the comic was particularly great yeah but i like Anytime you have an Asian who's not just a mathematician or a kung fu or karate dude, you know, I'll take it, man. <laughs> I'll take it. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned earlier that um, there, it, it feels like Marvel's all about quantity and... Uh, it's like, what's better than one Spider-Man? Yeah. How about 30 Spider-Man? Yeah. Well, yeah, and it, it feels like they've, in the past decade especially, they've been trying to expand it a lot because there have been a bunch of different Spider-Girls, Spider-Women, Spider-related, and like I just felt like none of them ever really hit. But with Spider-Verse and with Spider-Verse... Like, yeah, they they brought back Spider Man twenty ninety nine, and then they they got Spider Gwen out of it. Like it, it feels especially like especially now in the modern era, like we've got more like the Spider Man family is bigger than I've ever seen it be. You know. Yeah, they could definitely make an army. Actually, that's what the sequel of Spider Versus. It's a uh, Spider Geddon. Where there's yeah. there's a spider army. Are you serious? You don't believe me, Albert? Uh, I mean, I was going to say I want to believe you, but I don't want to believe you either. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm for real, man. Like, okay. even go to Wikipedia right now and look up Spider Geddon. Okay. And, and the... The, I'll take you on your word. I'll take you. On yeah, the top paragraph describes the spider army, and and you can see it on the cover. It's so, all the different spider people coming together to to fight the bad guys. So this is a epic spider army battle. I don't know if it's epic, but it was a battle. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Good enough. Yeah, I, I will say I I did not actually read Spider Geddon. I think Spider Verse was more than enough for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I didn't then, read it either. <laughs> speaking of Spider Verse, there was also Venom Verse. Yeah, I I did not read that. I think that's that was new, isn't it? Isn't it like coming out right now or? No, I think that was a couple of years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, basically a Venom version of Spider-Verse. I think Cullen Bunn might have written it, so I was even less inclined to check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not a whole lot to say about Venomverse other than I didn't bother reading it and I don't have any regrets. They took a bad... They They took a lame idea... And they thought that they could cash in on it again by applying it to 
someone that they perceive to be a popular character. Well, yep. I don't even know if it's by perception. I, I think Venom might actually be popular. So. Yeah, he has a he has a movie. Heck, there's a sequel to the movie coming out. Yeah, he's got. Let problems. there be carnage. Oh yeah, I forgot that that's what it's called. <laughs> oh man! I think I don't think you forgot, Albert. I think you just didn't want to remember. I actively gave myself amnesia to forget. <laughs> <laughs> you gave yourself a concussion so you wouldn't remember. <laughs> you made a deal with the devil so you could forget. I opened the car door, stuck my head in it, and then slammed it shut on myself. <laughs> Oh. Yep, that's the world we live in. Let there be carnage. Yep. Heck, last year we had absolute carnage. Yeah. That was a big event. We have absolute carnage. Yeah. Um, I can't say I read that either. I might borrow it from the library one day. It's by Donnie Cates. Uh, it's a big event that's leading up to, or it's leading up to another big event. Uh, the King in Black. Uh, yeah, it's that's what it's called, right? The King in Black. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, in recent years, we've seen a lot of symbiote stuff. So, <laughs> it really feels like Marvel finally found their their stride in terms of cashing in on on the symbiotes. Um. Yeah, I have no idea what Absolute Carnage is about. I'm I'm pretty sure it's tied into um the null stuff, but I I can't say for sure. I'm just that entire section of the Marvel universe is completely foreign to me. Yeah, I I I didn't read it either, so I couldn't tell you. I mean, I I don't hate Donny Cates or anything. Actually, some of the stuff from him I've read, I actually, I really like. Like he did uh, that image, this image series called God Country. That was really good. Uh, I think Jeff Shaw drew it. Um, and I'm, I'm not a big fan of Cosmic Ghost Rider, but the Thanos... The Thanos win story was pretty good. Yeah. But I can't really say I've got too much interest in his Venom comics. Yeah. I don't I'm not sure if he's still writing Venom currently or if it's somebody else now, but but from what I from what I heard I um or what I saw actually I think earlier this week Diamond for the first time in a long time, they released some of their sales numbers and Venom's uh, a top 10 selling comic. Yeah. Yeah, like I think Venom actually had two in the top 10. One of them was an issue from like May. I guess, yeah. Like, I feel like Venom's this character that um, it's always had... It's fans, and 
Marvel for the longest time was constantly trying to cash in on Venom, but they just never found a way to make it work. And I feel like it wasn't until Donny Cates and the recent stuff uh, that they finally found their guy for him. Unfortunately, um, Venom is not a character that I have too much interest in. Neither of us really have too much interest in. Yeah, I can't say I have an affinity for Venom. Yeah, and... If I'm going to pick up a Venom comic, it, it it's really just going to be about the creative team. Yeah. And, you know, when you expand on a, a character that we already find to be pretty ridiculous by, you know, promising us an entire event centered around that character. It's a hard sell. It's a hard sell. It's it's something I wasn't interested in to begin with and to promise me more of something that I wasn't I'm not interested in <laughs> is just not gonna do it. So um yeah. Uh the they got this I know this is uh not I mean this is like several uh, several parts removed from Spider-Man at this point cuz we're talking about Venom but it's still mm-hmm. part of the Spider-Man family and uh, yeah totally I do It's feel, not too far off. It's not too far off. But I feel like I still have to I feel like I'm gonna have to mention the king in black on this one too uh like okay i i'm gonna apply the the same logic that i had to some of the earlier comics on this list but you know what if it turns out that it gets critical acclaim and even people that i like and respect are telling me that the king in black is you know ends up being much much better than i believe it to be i i'll check it out purely out of curiosity and even with an open mind see that that's that's (laughs) tough albert because from what i know you don't respect any people see but that's 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 how i've stacked the decks deck in my favor Um, so for those of you that don't know, The King in Black is a story focused around a being called Null, who... Is it Null or K-Null? K-Null. Like K-Null. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> he's, uh, he's like a dark elder god sort of being who existed before uh, time, and... He created all the symbiotes. <laughs> so, you know, the guys that have a hard time beating Spider-Man, those guys can kill gods. They they can They're the They're the they're the kryptonite to Thor. Yeah. I find that hard to believe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Jason Aaron 
kind of uh, touched on that idea during War of War of the Realms. He did. There was the idea. <laughs> I think he even uh, helped Donny Cates by retroactively make making it so that the yeah the God Killer weapon that Gore used in the early Thor run was a symbiote. Yeah. I mean, Jason Aaron's a good guy, then. Uh, he's willing to help out. He's a team player with he's the Marvel Universe, player. man. Totally, yeah. totally. So, there's that. Um, yeah, like, yeah, again, like, uh, Venom wasn't a character that I had too much interest in, and if you're going to promise me, hey, you want this other character who's supposed to be exponentially more powerful just because just because and (laughs) (laughs) and he's kind of got a silly design um yeah i can't say i have any appetite for that (laughs) nope none whatsoever yeah weird thing is is that i've been hearing that venom the venom comic uh the current venom ongoing series it's it's like really popular with the speculator crowd. Like there are a lot of reports from that I've heard online where people that don't normally uh, buy comics, read comics, they're calling up comic book stores asking to buy like the entire stock of the latest issue of Venom. What the heck? Yeah, and it's it's like something that happens pretty regularly too. Like, pe- there's a lot of people that are just buying multiple copies of, of Venom. And like, there's no explanation as to what it is that's. Well, uh, I think there is an explanation, but I did I didn't care enough to investigate because, you know, it it could be another thing where it's like punchline or or a, t- what was that the name of that bite. spider character spider bite yeah it's yeah. like. Come on, man. They, they're just buying all the copies of these issues thinking that there's some... That some character is going to blow up and going to be the next big thing. Yeah, like they, they think this could be the next Miles Morales. So once we get a bunch of these, we can, we can sell them for a couple hundred bucks a pop. Guys, you're killing us. <laughs> yeah. You're killing us, guys. Those people don't help comics, man. They hurt comics. Yeah. We need less speculation. Yeah. It's enjoy your hobby because you enjoy the craft and the art and the entertainment of it. Like it's if you if you're only into it for the for the specul speculation, that's a business. Go go buy stocks, man. <laughs> Go buy stocks, dude. <laughs> yeah, or pogs. Or pogs. <laughs> or beanie babies. Or beanie babies. Or <laughs> uh, I don't even know what else is out, but you know, there's there's a bunch of things that you can collect, and I'm sure that you can tell yourself that there's somebody out there who's going to pay you an exorbitant sum for it. So (laughs) (laughs) 
Go do that. So let me ask you one thing before we uh, wrap things up here, Albert. When it comes to Spider-Man events and crossovers, definitely feels like there are a lot more bad ones than good ones. Yeah. Do you think there's any reason why that seems to be the case? Um, that's a good question. Uh, that is a good question. If I had to guess, I mean, I think here's one theory that I have. Mm-hmm. I think Spider-Man may be an example of something that's a victim of its own success. In the sense that Spider-Man is probably one of the most well-known popular characters around. And yeah. because Marvel is constantly looking to cash in on it, they're just constantly going to do as much as they can to produce content for it. Essentially just throwing crap at the wall just to see what sticks yep. uh, to try to get as many sales as possible. That's that's a theory. I don't I don't know if I have any real facts or evidence to back that up. Um, I think another thought that I had is Spider-Man might be a character that huh I want to say he might be someone that's hard to to figure out but I don't even know if that's true I mean there are a lot of writers who, who make it work I mean, yeah, because I think if oh sorry, don't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Uh, no, no, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, I was I was just gonna say, we can definitely think of a lot of great Spider-Man stories. Yeah, but they're just they're 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 stories that that aren't uh, events or big crossovers. You know. Yeah. They're they're stories that take place within the context of somebody's run or an ongoing series. Um. You know, like we, again, going back to J.M.D. Mateus, he had an awesome run on Spectacular Spider-Man and some of the other Spider-Man books throughout the 90s. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the Bendis Ultimate Spider-Man stuff, including the Miles Morales stories. There was the Paul Jenkins run. Like, yeah. Paul Jenkins is a, a, one of the best Spider-Man writers, and he doesn't get any love. Like, people... Like Marvel's doing omnibuses of the J. Michael Straczynski stuff, but Paul Jenkins was writing uh, Peter Parker Spider-Man the same time that J.M.S. was writing uh, Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. But I don't see anyone giving Paul Jenkins the accolades. But I, yeah. I think his run is definitely one of the best Spider-Man runs, way better than the J.M.S. run. Yeah. But he wrote a lot of stories that were just... Um, they were human one and, interest one and done yeah they were kind of like human interest stories they were, they were more about like contemplative drama and he didn't really do a lot of stories that were multi-part stories and when he finally did start doing multi-part stories I, I remember reading that he was editorially like mandated to to do like a five-part Venom story and that was def- that was one of his weaker works you know Yeah. but when he was doing his own thing 
doing these one issue stories like those are really poetically executed like yeah. they they capture the form of the monthly 22 page comic uh, and you know like they're they're like sterling examples of that kind of storytelling yeah but for some reason i i guess it's not worth uh, an omnibus the way that the j michael straczynski stuff is i don't get it man i don't yeah. get it well that's that's an interesting point you make um yeah i i, I kind of wonder if people are constantly just trying to it, it kind of makes me think of what we were talking about or what we're constantly talking about in terms of like uh like the dark ages of comics where uh, you know people are people know the formula for what's good which is or uh people know the formula for what yeah let's say like what's good for a certain kind of comic and which is something dark and then they continue to try to mimic that to the point where it becomes parody well if all these other comics have like really big epic stories and they want to just do that sort of thing for Spider-Man to the point where they're just constantly upping the stakes and uh, for Spider-Man, despite the fact that it doesn't always work, like mm-hmm. it, it feels like it's more of a detriment to the overall <laughs> uh, yeah. character of Spider-Man, right? Where they might be more successful doing smaller scale type stories yeah exactly i mean that's kind of been how spider-man like most of his best stories tend to be like that where he's he's interacting with uh you know like regular people uh or he's handling street level crime he's not dealing with a multiversal threat yeah. To kill out all the spider people, you know, he's not teaming up with the spider army of the multiverse to fight yeah. ancient spider totem anti-gods or something. He's yeah. not making deals with the devil. <laughs> yeah, it's, it always feels like, it's like, what's the next hook or what's the next angle that I could get to, like, blow people's minds with Spider-Man? That, that Yeah, it, it does feel like whenever a new Spider-Man story comes out, that always the angle that they're coming from you know and yeah spider-man doesn't need that like he's you're you're right he he does his best when he's just doing street level stuff when he's just doing human interest type stories Mm -hmm. it's like people think that they up the stakes a lot if they have Spider-Man dealing with some kind of cosmic threat or a multiversal threat, but I don't really find that interesting at all. Like I'm, I'm, I would be more interested in seeing how does, how does Spider-Man deal with the latest headline from the daily bugle calling him a menace, you know, (laughs) like that, like that would be something that, that I could get behind. Like just, just this idea of, of, Spider-Man having, you know, he's got powers, but he still doesn't get respect from the public, you know, something yeah. like that. And and I guess, I guess you could make the argument that we've seen that story 
a bunch of times and it's getting old and tired and and we could do something new and yeah i can i can concede that point but at the same time i would i would still say that taking him into the multiverse uh or having him fight uh, it's new, a spider total yeah yeah exactly <laughs> like i i really don't care for the character or the concept of Morlin. i don't think that adds anything to spider-man's origin or his legacy uh, it feels like Morlin was created to add something to the mythology or the mythos of spider-man and yeah. i i don't think he adds anything at all yeah like spider yeah uh, no i i absolutely agree with you spider-man's spider-man's origin is pretty cut and dry pretty simple there was a radioactive spider bit him transferred to you know uh it transferred powers into him you know uh through the radioactive process or whatever i don't need there to be like some sort of great cosmic meaning i don't think uh magical uh spider (laughs) uh shows him to to do battle on their behalf it, it it's unnecessary and it's convoluted it just makes things more complicated and it's it's silly man it's just a silly idea yep yep yeah the only way we can get rid of that is by making a deal with mephisto yeah i mean i'm not married so there's no marriage for him to steal from me so I guess I've got nothing to offer. <laughs> what if what if the devil wanted our podcast, Albert? No! <laughs> yeah, I you know what? It'd be interesting to see a Spider-Man event or a, a crossover where the stakes are much, much lower, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, Just something that focuses on telling a story. Yeah. Even the crossovers that we did highlight as as uh, worth reading, I think the thing that makes them stand out is that they have cohesive uh, creative teams. Yeah, absolutely. That that makes a, such a big difference. And the... All those other events and crossovers had multiple multiple uh, creators working on them and some of them had questionable editorial guidance. Yeah. So they're those aren't just they're just not coherent. They don't really have any thematic content. They're pretty much purely about the plot and the action, which is not very interesting when you read as many things as we do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I uh, like I I have a lot of love for Spider-Man. Spider-Man's like my first love mm-hmm. it, as a as a superhero character. He, he's probably the thing up maybe in the top 2 or 3 characters that brought me to comics in the first place. You know, mm-hmm. so I I long for an event for him that you know that's just satisfying and unfortunately based on the things that we've 
on the lists that we've produced today, uh, it, it's clear that you know it skews in one direction. <laughs> yeah. Uh, unfortunately. Yeah. I guess all we can do is just stick to the the runs by the creators that we know we enjoy and appreciate. Hope that somebody else comes along someday and writes something that'll really grab us. I'll say I'm enjoying the current Nick Spencer run. Yeah. Nick Spencer with Ryan Otley. Like that that one is a that's a Spider-Man so far. Um the first I don't know, I think I've read like the first four trades or four or five. Like so far it seems like more of a it's closer to a return to basics than anything that we've had in the past like 10 years. Yeah. It it doesn't try any um gimmicks. It's well, it's it's got like it it had one sort of gimmicky thing, but other than that, like everything else has been pretty yeah, return to basics is a good way to put it. You know, just it's just about Spider-Man going on adventures. Yeah. Yeah. He's doing his Spider-Man thing when he's in the costume and when he's Peter Parker, he's he's dealing with uh, you know, personal problems and there's always the tension between his responsibility to use his powers for good and his desire to I guess self-improve his personal life and those two things are often conflicting which is again you can someone could say that's a pretty old tired story that we've seen over and over but i think you can still execute it in fun or fresh ways but the even if the basic concept or theme behind it is familiar it's because that kind of captures spider-man's character like that's the tension that makes him so appealing yeah yeah Alright, well put, well put. Well, anything else you want to say before we sign off? Uh no, I I'm I'm satisfied with what we've said here today. Um, you know. How about a Shankadanka then? To all of you listening. Shankadi Donkadi. <laughs> <laughs> that thing that albert always says his catchphrase that i've been saying for years now <laughs> <laughs> hey you, you know what i'm not sure i've ever heard from you though What's have it? you ever said shankadanka in your 1920s gangster voice yeah see shankadanka see nah. <laughs> <laughs> it's steel-toed shoes for me see <laughs> Oh, I, don't, I don't even know what that means <laughs> but it makes me laugh alright everybody this is Between the Gutters thanks for listening we'll catch you next time peace peace out peace